All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Yo, yo, what up? This is Fonte Fontigolo with this week's QLS Classic. This week, we go deep. We talk to my man, my brother, Dan Charnas, writer, radio host, and music exec. Dan talks about his early days as a hip-hop journalist, some of the artists he did and didn't sign in the 90s, and how a simple grammar mistake can cause big trouble. This one was originally released February 22nd, 2017. His new book, Dilla Time, which is absolutely incredible, it releases February 1st of 2022. And um, it is just an amazing book and a beautiful elegy to an incredible producer. Dan Charnas, QLS Classic, Bontiglo. Yep. Uno, dos, dos. Suprema, Suprema, roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Harriet Tubman, yeah. Rosa Parks, yeah. A million more Black Americans make America what it is today. Big impact. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. Shout out to my Jews. Yeah. Quest Love Supreme. Yeah. Fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Is that Roll Call? Suprema. Suprema Roll Call. I met Daryl. Yeah. When he was defending me on television. Yeah. And the people that were on the other side of the argument. Yeah. Didn't stand a chance, right? Suprema roll call. Thank you, Linda Bean. Yeah. Of LL Bean. Yeah. For your great support. Yeah. By LL Bean. That's a black shit. Suprema. That was like Su- two months Su- ago. Suprema Roll Call. They're incredible people. Yeah. And I want to thank Ben Carson. Yeah. Who's going to be heading up HUD? Yeah. That's a big job. Roll Call. <laughs> Suprema. Su- Su- Suprema Roll Call. That's the best call. one you've ever done Suprema. in your life. It's not even my lyrics. Suprema Roll Call. My name is Dan. 
Jackson. Yeah. I didn't meet Daryl. Yeah. But I now miss the president. Yeah. Who was played by Will Ferrell. Roll call. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Suprema roll call. Ladies and gentlemen, we are. This might be the most roguish episode of Questlove Supreme, probably since the drunken Christmas special. Ooh, Wrong. yeah. Classic. Yeah. Uh, wait, L.L. Bean is black? <laughs> no, it was. I was reading the Trump tweet. We should explain what we was we were reading oh, okay. first of all. Well, yeah, I to celebrate to, oh, Black I History Month. Oh lord, yes. we read Trump's. Those are excerpts. That was from Trump Trump's quotes. Black quotes from his Black History speech to, that he gave. Oh, Okay, Wait, mine was gave. just a random tweet. That that didn't have anything. Oh, to do I was about to say. I thought I was like, I, I didn't know. L. 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 I support LL Bean. Yeah, New Hampshire, like LL Bean, all of it. Oh, okay. LL Bean's a rapper, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's LL Cool J's uh, Mexican cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Steve says stuff so serious. Yo, I was like, wait. Biggie and Fonte. We've managed to offend <laughs> the entire. <laughs> just go in right immediately. <laughs> Within five minutes. Oh. Okay. This is apparently yes. the last episode. Yeah, that was his Mexican cousin, and McCammer is also Irish. Ah, I see. What? Well, we're, we're, <laughs> and that was like his best version ever. Yeah, it was. We, we, it would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge uh, Black History Month. Yeah, <laughs> we got this to. And our... we figured the best way to do it is to um, quote uh, Cheeto Jackson. That's his. That's your man, son. Yeah. He he. You call him Cheeto Jackson? Cheeto Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah man. He's yeah. He's Carter making G. shit happen. Carter G. Trumpson. <laughs> There you go. Brother, he is, yo. I, listen, man, I feel like we need to do something. I feel like we need to do the photo negative version of Black History Month. Explain that okay, what I, I thought mean, that was the rest of the month. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yo, well, because I feel like, you know, it's a lot of stuff going on now. And, you know, it's, you know, we're having this war, I think, between like people that are globalists and nationalists and everything. And, you know, federalists. Everything. All the ISTs, all the is. <laughs> so. I feel like every Black History Month, we try to show like what black people have contributed to this country. Mm-hmm. I feel like in order to really show people what we've done, I feel like maybe it might be time for us to just remove ourselves for like a month. Let it go. Like just, oh. like just for one month. Oh, like, a day without? Yeah, a day without niggas. Like an, a, a month. The Mexicans where, did that, and it worked. I feel like like every, like for real, like it we works. take like for one month, we show you for all the people that's like, go back to your country. If you don't like it here, for one month, Black people, we take away our music. We take away all our seasoning. Oh, nigga, stop. We take away- <laughs> so, wait, Vaughn yep. ain't not about to make a living on the music. Well, no, I'm saying, listen, if I, I can go a month, you do know we, what I mean? Do we have the discipline? <laughs> Look, yeah, as no, a, we as don't. A I guy, can tell you that right now. No. As a dude who's not eating any cereal or fried chicken or whatever cheesesteaks that I've been known to indulge in, for as of this taping, we're we're in the eighties. Okay, yeah, your resistance down. That's yeah. That is one of the. <laughs> I think that's all I can. Amir's, <laughs> I can't do no more. You got no more. I can't, I can't do, do no more. I no, mean, well, you you put in your time, man. I, I understand, but I, I thought about that. Like, what if we just did like a, a just a a cultural enema, and where we just removed ourselves just to really show like all these folk that really want black people go away. If you go and not just black people, scandal like just came back. You like about to get rid of people of color. Like if we all no Shonda Rhimes, like your 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 uncle 
that like needs heart surgery, no, Dr. Patel can't help you. Ooh. He said, fuck it. You mean all the brown people? Everybody, Ooh. all the colored people. Like your hedges outside that's growing over? Nah, nigga. Guillermo left. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Guillermo. <laughs> you know I mean? I'm just saying, like, we, if we did that, I think we should, we need to let Ooh. our absence right show Right when basketball season starts. Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see what you're doing. I like. You know it. what I mean? I just, it's just a thought. It's a thought, but it's no. It, it would never work. No, black no, no. People, we ain't, we ain't gonna do that. It made for good TV though. We should do like a TV show. Write it, you know, write it up. Which brings us to our guest. How <laughs> we? <doing? laughs> who do we have? Who, who do we have today with us? Yeah, Fonte oh. is you. This is all you, dog. Today. Oh man, we're we cele- yeah. We kind of celebrate. You are kind of your, your own guest. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. Welcome. I got the beats. <laughs> ah. All right, I see well, what you uh, did there. Okay, well, uh, check, man. Today on uh, Quest of Supreme, we have uh, uh, a guy that um, is, man, has written the what I would consider like the hip hop bible. You know, what I mean, he he wrote a book called The Big Payback, and uh, the best way I can describe it, I've never seen Star Wars in my life, but I, but you know, for the Star Wars people. It is this book that shows how Wait, all what still to this day still wow like when they I, like had all even, I gave in last year and that was your first time seeing it well yeah cause... how you ain't gonna see Billy D yeah. how you ain't gonna see Billy D I was four when that nigga was popping I wasn't oh. watching that all right I'm sorry I didn't mean to digress yeah okay. I, nah it was you know I, I wasn't watching that okay uh I miss Star Wars but hey whatever so as I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Billy D was in The Empire Strikes Back. That's the second one, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the one I heard was kind of live. I heard that one was dope. Billy Turn D to Jedi was, was kind. Of, no, well, I can't <laughs> believe we're having this conversation. <laughs> no, I, I, I just missed that whole. Jabba the Hutt was like okay. hip hop bible though for Star Wars people. Star Wars people, his book showed how all the Anakin's became Darth Vader's. Like, if you want to see how every all the the major players in the game, the Russells, the Rick Rubens, the Jesus Christ, everybody. Everyone who's someone in the world of hip hop, if you want to see how they became who they are, this book shows it. And it shows how hip hop played a role. It starts off in 1978, I want to say. Is it 78? 68. Oh, shit. Well, I missed the whole decade. Technically, okay, well, the the beginning of the book, which is amazing to me, which I... I was even no, 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 first. No, no, no. Y'all ain't even okay. said the man name yet. Hello. I know we that. Gotta, we got to build it up. Build it up. Build it up. Build it up. So, we got to build it up. So, no, it's 1968. It starts with DJ Hollywood, uh, and it ends with the election of Barack Obama, and it shows how hip-hop played a role in all of that, and all just the many, the thread. Hip-hop was the thread that ran through all of that, and uh, it's an incredible read, and on top of that, he's... Uh, played a hand in some of my favorite hip-hop records and he's also the writer creator well one of the writers co-creators of uh the breaks on vh1 which i played a small don't do that a little bit don't you know what i'm saying big, big bro and uh nah and he, he's like you know real good friend of mine very knowledgeable guy ladies and gentlemen boys and girls give it up for mr dan charnas Break it up, break it up. Well, the thing was, I the 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 thing that grabbed me about the the payback book is the fact that you really started the book in the eighteen hundreds. And what I wanted to ask you, what I always wanted to ask you was 
what were your feelings about Hamilton? Because <laughs> you now, now I, that's the one thing I wanted to ask Lynn, like, and I never got to ask him, like, was he inspired by reading your book first or because you made the comparison and compared Alexander Hamilton to, you put him in hip hop terms. Right. In the same way that Hamilton actually does. So did you, uh, assuming that you've seen I, it or? I think we both read Cherno's book at the same time and had different reactions to it. He was a playwright and he started on this amazing work. And I was working on a book about hip hop and it just made sense. The guy who invented American money lived and died in Harlem. That's the first sentence of the book. Wow. Um, and so it ends. And Sugar Hill is Alexander Hamilton's estate. That's yeah. where he lived. Yeah. So I, when I heard about Hamilton, I, I, Were you I like, just, hmm. no, no. I, thought, I was like, oh my God, he gets it. He really gets it. Somebody else gets it. And Lynn knew something else that I couldn't believe anybody else knew is that the very first rap record, really, the first rap on record, like like Bronx-style, Harlem-style emceeing, was not uh, Sugar Hill Gang, was not Rapper's Delight, was not uh, King Tim King III. Tim. It was on the soundtrack, the Broadway recording of Run... The original soundtrack recording for Runaways by Liz Suedos in 1978. There was a rap song about the blackout on that album, and Lynn tweeted about it. I'm like, wow, he knows that. I've never met the man. I mean, we have the same like agent, but I've never, uh, I've never met him. Really? No. Damn. Man, I, he's brilliant. Bring so, Lynn in. Seen it? Bring Lynn in. <laughs> All right, <laughs> we have a surprise for you tonight. The enigma of Miranda. So, you have you seen Hamilton? Oh yet? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, okay, I, I always wanted to know what the the feelings were yeah i mean it's, i'm glad you took that position though because because we live in harlem so we feel like really connected to the soil of the place you know and you know my son he plays little league baseball in jackie robinson park which is right on that cliff under sugar hill and it's it's just like you you feel the presence there of that it's wow. and is that that's where you were born and raised or no i was not born in harlem where were you born i was born a few blocks south of Harlem. <laughs> Lenox Hill Hospital on 77th Street. So, yeah, I I so as a non New Yorker, how do you differentiate? As an as a non New Yorker? Oh, and for me as oh. a non New Yorker asking you, how do you yeah. differentiate what's Harlem and what is 96th Street was Street. the, you know, the border the on the line. on the east side, yeah. All right. Okay. So 96 is considered Upper, I, upper, west? E, upper West Side. I lived on 96. East. That's your hood. The yeah. border between the Upper East Side and Harlem. Now I live in Harlem, but but uh, that's in it, the traditional it, border. It gets a little tricky because uh, I've been looking for a few cribs or whatever, and when uh, I went to check out a, a spot in Harlem, they've now rechristened Sugar Hill as in Hamilton Row. Oh, and oh, when I man. and when I asked, they were big. They, they kind of kicked. They, yeah, they kind of kicked it to money. me. Like, yeah, this is just an excuse for us to add an extra, <laughs> extra zero. zero to the, yeah, to the to the it's price. Like a whole well, listen, level. a lot of, a lot of that stuff gets named for real estate. Like Morningside Heights used to be Harlem Heights, but then when the name was out of vogue, they changed gentrification. It. Man, it's like yeah. the, the stages of gentrification. You change the name. Plus, anything Heights like that just sound real project to me. Like in round our way <laughs> in the South, like mm -hmm. Heights 
gardens. Y'all have heights? Lincoln yeah. Heights. Heights, gardens, uh what's the Gardens another? is the, the Jacks. Homes. Homes of the Jacks. Any of them, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's real. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot of wig vouchers. It's it's real. It's real out there. So that's where I stayed at. But um so I wanna go in the words of our cult leader. I want to start at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> You've always wanted to say that. I want to start. I want to start at the beginning. So I'm um, act as if you know, because we, me, and you have had a lot of conversations about you know everything. So oh, this is like Eddie Murphy or Sydney Hall. Yeah, I wanted to be. Like, okay, so tell us uh, the beginning. Like you know, what was your upbringing like as a kid? Uh, well, I, I guess the most important thing about my upbringing is that you know my mom raised me in this town that was in between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. So I grew up with a lot of, you know, soul and funk what town is radio. That? Columbia, Maryland. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was... Uh, are you from there, too? No, no. Columbia's a little far. <laughs> you are. Yes, you are. You, you got jokes, man. I'm, are you I'm from, from a lot of places? I'm from the DMV, but not like Columbia, because Columbia is kind of not... from everywhere. Kinda, it's, you know, like you said, it's on the edge. It's in between D.C. and Baltimore. You're so, cooler than Baltimore. You know, I grew up listening to WHUR, Howard oh, University yes. Radio. I grew up ever. listening to, uh, you know, V103 in Baltimore. So it, it was an interesting sort of class and race integration. An interesting place to grow up. And yet it was the most segregated time in American culture. It was like post-disco. You know, all the radio formats were really, really strict. And, you know, I had my sort of... Um, I mean, I grew up with Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Stevie Wonder, and all that. But I had my epiphany with, you know, more bounce to the ounce in 1980. Like, that was my thing. Like, I never heard this song on the radio stations that my preppy friends listen to. What are these other radio stations? And that began. I sort of got politicized by that a little bit. What was your people's playing in the crib? What was mom and dad listening oh, to? Earth, Wind, and Fire, Marvin Gaye. Oh, what? Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so you raised on the essential. Yeah, the soul nutrients. Food, yeah. <laughs> My mother is still angry at me that I stole her uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire records when I left for college. So that's dope, man. That they were listening to that. So that was was that your entryway of like saying, "Hey, I want to do this one day. Like, I want to do it for myself." Um, I was actually when I went to college, I was actually thinking of becoming a like a school teacher, high school teacher. Um, and I, my major was Af- Afro American Studies. They called it Afro American Studies at that point. Um, and I did uh, a. Th- I, I just decided that I would do my thesis on. Um, I called it Musical Apartheid in America. Say what? Wait, first, first of all, <laughs> let me just ask you this because we talked about your background, but this is radio, so let me just not assume you're not African American. I'm not. I'm Jewish. So I always wonder. See, we get that shit confused all the time. Wait a minute. Y'all didn't know that either because y'all would have been celebrating. What? Oh, wow. Y'all didn't know. No. You thought he was like John B? No, you never assume because, you know, black comes in many forms. You know what I'm saying? Mariah Carey's black, so why couldn't he? It didn't. You know what I'm saying? But my, because I asked that because I'm always interested when non-blacks do a major like Afro-American studies. Like, that's interesting to me. Like, what made you? I did. No, no, for I real. Did. You didn't have a I majored in West African he music. He deals They're, with Muppets every day. West of course. That has nothing to do with that. Did you say yeah. West African? I did. That's I've been specific. to Africa more than you have. You I've have, never been there. No, I, I've never. Yeah. Most of us have never been You've there. Been You'll find that with us. I've been, to, I've been to South Africa. They're artists, most regular black people. Yeah, not have. regular black people. We don't. Now. We've never been there. So the only yeah. people that can afford to get to Africa are those that can exploit it. So I'm interested in <laughs> how you do it. Oh wait how, a minute, that deserves. Where is the set? Bum 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 bum. Nah, this deserves singular. <laughs> 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 Click clack. 
so now that we have that's interesting so now we have two Jewish men who who majored in that both of y'all I would be interested in y'all answer I like the Toto song Africa <laughs> <laughs> that's, about, that's about all I got sugar for the win I can't yeah we yeah I saw it yeah, yeah so that, I, yeah. I thought you knew well, no, he's a member of the tribe he's, he's I knew my, it. Br- my brethren M.O.T. Jewy Lewis right, in the not, news not, so wait what's the answer for real no seriously what, what makes you major in African American more bounce to the house just okay, okay. I just okay <laughs> Bad. So like, I, okay, I'll be honest with you. I was kind of with you. Yeah. I mean, you had so much flavor. I just thought, okay, you, you one of us, like a Sean King. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to assume. MC Search. I think it's the yeah. beard and the glasses. I think that's. I think that's what it is. It could be Latin too. You know, I'm just saying. But okay, now I man, know. y'all done made him Steven Seagal. Right. What the beard? If I'd come without the beard, it would have been completely different. Yeah, the vi- yeah the beard kind of you give it a little clay top. So you left your beard. yarmulke at home, and I you did with the beard. How come the, the my pants? <laughs> how come the Beastie Boys and Rick Rubin don't automatically give us cred right from the beginning? Um, well, okay, for having bounce or funk or whatever you're talking about. It's weird. Though. <laughs> I don't even know. Just that when. <laughs> Listen, as for me, when I first heard the original Maroon era, Party's Getting Rough, like, I thought they were Puerto Rican. Like, have you heard Rock Hard and, all right, maybe not Rock Hard, but definitely with This Party's Getting Rough. Have you you heard This Party's Getting Rough, uh, Fonte? Yeah, I have. I I remember we talked about it in the previous Yeah, so, I mean, basically, I thought they were Puerto Rican, and it wasn't until... You know, I opened the inside sleeve of License to Ill. I was like, oh, they are not Puerto Rican. Well, also, <laughs> I I guess the way they were dancing on She's On It and Crush Groove, I should have known that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I guess, and I guess Puerto Rican for me, it never, because I was in the South, so we I'm didn't really have a we lot of Puerto Rican. So mm-hmm. we just, it was either black or white. It was Nicaraguan or El Salvadorian. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a whole nother culture. You, right? Do you not? Rem- you don't remember this, Dan, in D.C.? This is, no? Okay. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the Nicaraguans hadn't gotten there yet because that was like the early 80s. So. Oh. Okay. Um, that was, oh, that was when all the coke was getting moved. Listen, I don't know. I don't, what you, so, Dan, after, so after. <laughs> is, there any more, is there any more do say left? <laughs> Man. <laughs> Well, anyway, nobody answered my question. You, you, well, you that just, wasn't even close You should just assume question. in the future that all Jewish people are funky. Well, yeah, some of the... I'm just, I'm just joking, but I'm saying you shouldn't... I mean, certainly, you know, you, you can... He was offended there, by your there statement. Is, there is a bit <laughs> of a special relationship. I don't want to make too much of it, but there is a bit of a... With the funk or... Between that, the three that of us? too, I'm feeling... <laughs> no, what, what do you mean? Between, uh, you know, black folks and Jews in America. Yeah, y'all had our yeah. backs a Culturally. few times. We're, yeah. we're, here we are. We're all in the same gang. In like, well, Civil rights. Appreciate y'all. I'm just saying you shouldn't be surprised that, that there's a Jew in the room. I was who never has, surprised. You know, who, who has uh, bounce or whatever yeah. this term was. You can't so, even say it. You, you want us to not be surprised? <laughs> you, you, you said fuck, bounce, flavor, that flavor, shit. Flavor. That's flavor, right. that's what flavor. it is. I mean, you know. I, I it. In an MC Search episode, I said that Search had more flavor. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that, that was the term of the time. Yeah. That was what it was. He had flavor, so... All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, if you're just joining us, uh, this is uh, Quest of Supreme. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're still with us. If you're still with us. <laughs> For our Jewish listeners, I hope we piss y'all off. Um, nah, we're here with uh, Dan Charnas, author of The Big Payback, Mies and Plas, and also writer uh, for The Breaks, and a whole bunch of other flash shit that we about to get into. All right, so tell me how college you went to... Boston University. Boston University. What year? I uh, graduated 89. Okay. Okay. You you know so You got connects? I knew, but I don't want to play that game like, you know, start naming proper nouns. Did you know a Lloyd Starrett? Mm-mm. Okay. That's, and I'm so, <laughs> I'm Google searching that shit. <laughs> All right, so however, yeah, I, I did him. go to college at the same time as Paul Beatty. Okay. So there's that. Paul Beatty, who was Who's Paul Beatty? Wrote the sellout, just won the Man Booker Prize for wow. the, you know. College. Paul College Friends, man. Right. Damn. Read okay. a book. I am. I'm going to read Dan's book. Okay, so what was your major in college? Uh, Afro-American studies. Oh, that was like your major major. Yeah. It wasn't this like is the why money. I was got excited. Wow. Because nah, that's like, real. Yeah. Okay. Especially in Boston. Right, exactly. <laughs> Dan, do you, are you looking at me like, what's wrong with I'm you? Why don't you see that this makes sense? I'm like, you, you went to Boston University. or Yes. You majored in Afro-American studies. Yes. You came from the DMV. That's like a lot of different things. Like you came from a whole... Freaking different culture in the DMV. Went to Boston and then studied Afro. What was that like? Was it yeah. a culture shock kind of like going up there from? Yes, it? because they didn't have any radio stations that played any funk, soul, right. R and B. You know, so that was you graduated my, in eighty nine. So you, you went there in eighty six, eighty five. Right. So this is so of course this is how. Okay, right. I know this is leaving. Okay, so. All I have to listen to are the college stations, and all they're playing is like this electro and hip-hop right so that was my induction into more hip-hop because hip-hop was always just sort of like a subset of 
R&B to me. And then it just I, I started to become more important to me. And then, you know, when you're in college, it's the first time I ever read Malcolm X. It was my f- sort of really like kind of getting politicized. And then the music was getting political at the same time. So by the time I graduated, I, it was the only thing that was important. It was the only thing I wanted to do. I wanted to be involved in the business, you know, somehow to help this culture become everything that it could and should be. Um, and I, I think I said I had written this thesis, uh, you know, honors thesis at the end of college called Musical Apartheid in America and it was sort of analyzed white America's relationship to black culture over a 400-year period. And so the dynamic of, right, ambivalence. Mm-hmm. We love it, we hate it, right? Mm-hmm. We love you, we hate you. Mm-hmm. And I sort of tracked that throughout 400 years and it ended with hip-hop. And that's how I got to meet a lot of the people in the business because I went and I interviewed them. And one of those people was Bill Stephanie, who was the president of Def Jam at yeah. the time. And um, Bill, you know, I sent him a copy of my thesis when it was done. And he, you know, said, when you come to New York, come look me up. You know, maybe I'm starting a record company. Maybe we can work together. And what was funny about that was uh, right the evening that I was supposed to meet with him, the Village Voice story came out with Professor Griff talking about uh, Jews and jewelry. The, yeah. oh. So the record company got put on this and eventually became Soul Records, right? Yeah, S-O-U. That's what we had. I thought Steps. Oh, wait. Soul. Soul. The first one. With Hank. Okay, we okay. had uh, Young Black Teenagers. Right. And, yes. Yeah. So Bill and Hank, Bill left Def Jam to form this record company with Hank and Chuck. And then, you know, Griff you know, was talking to Dave Mills at the Washington Times and R.J. Smith at The Voice picked it up and then it was just, it was like postponed for a year. Mm-hmm. What was the controversy for for those that don't know? Sorry. What, what happened was that Professor, Professor Griff said something to the effect of, why do you think they call it jewelry? Wow. Because of the Jews. Yeah. You know, the... <laughs> Yeah, it is though, right? I'm like, is that? I don't know. It's not. I, in, I don't know. That that time, time, I mean, Stephen Mandel. Crazy. It's not. I assume said I, I, Amir Thompson. I've always assumed it was, but oh. at that time, that was crazy. Seriously? I yeah. remember. I remember that shit was. Yeah, like Griff. They yeah. had to cut him off. They had to kind of like excommunicate him or whatever. Like shit was no, no, for real. Like that shit was like wow. That's just back interesting. Then. Oh, I'm is he? At, the, I'm looking at Steve's. That's one of like, the questions wow, I, I forgot to ask MC Search. Was there was a confrontation between him and Griff? Mm-hmm. The reason why Def Jam had to put guards in the, you know, uh-huh. that was one of the main reasons. Like it was a lot of confrontations. <sighs> I remember that summer. So that put everything on hold. Once that happened, that kind of put soul on hold. Yeah, so what I ended up doing was getting a job in the mailroom of Profile Records. And that was uh, the home of Rob Bass, Run DMC, Special Ed, right in the summer of, like, the fall of 1989. So my first job was answering phones and stuffing envelopes at Profile. So you're saying that had that not happened, soul would have gotten developed by 1989 That's right. instead of 1991. That's right. That would, yeah. That so I changed. wonder if those the young black teenagers in the Son of Berserk album were ready to go in 1990, like earlier than when it got released. Because it didn't come out to what, like 91? 91. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I do recall Bill still waiting for those things to be complete in 1990. Like Damn. it was, he was still, you know. Those, those two records, man, are like, to me, I mean, as far as like I, I loved 
anything and everything that the bomb squad has ever done as a production unit but it, it's so weird because you, do you have a product musically it could be hip-hop or whatever that you hold near and dear to your heart that you know won't translate to anyone else anyone except else for you, you. <laughs> like to me i like if i were at the source at the time when those they records came out mics. i would have five mic both those records because it's just it's so many le- layers of genius to them at least from the production side yeah, yeah. but you know I know the average person would just give it a uh, three, whatever. You talking about the young guys black at teenagers. the source love that song. Well, they J-Dub's love they thing. love change the style. Yeah, they they gave that a classic rate. Well, they gave it a, a four. Yeah, change the style. I think at the time, I can't remember that. Oh, and I've four. memorized oh, yeah. every yeah. Yeah. record yeah. Right? Right? Pandora. Right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, the I don't want to scare you either. <laughs> and I, I, I hate to change the subject, but you know what I remember? I remember your columns. I think they were rap sheet, right? Yeah, you were a columnist. That's yeah. how I first got Shout to know you. Shout out to Dream you. Hampton. Yeah, man. She, she, uh, she, she hooked me up. Man, so with those records, so Soul gets Soul is on hold. You at profile? I was even one. We were talking about this today, man. Like, like, do mailrooms still even exist anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. Actually, yes. they, well, where, not, I don't know record labels, but uh, NBC. The hell, do record at labels NBC? Still exist there's anymore. always someone pushing. The mail is flowing. That, that's the way I get record all companies my, don't get how ghetto mail. I am. All my mail gets sent to NBC now. So everything like cards from family, bills, every, bills. everything, <laughs> bills. No, because people how are black like, is he? people be like, "What's your address?" And I'm like, "Well, do you want me to get actually get said it? letter yeah. or package or yeah?" So all I just you know that's my house, and they'll bring it to you. I like sleep you. there. I, I yeah. I mean, some what? weekends I'll make it a weekend there. Well, shit, I guess it is your house then. Don't sit on that yeah, couch. But, but record companies barely have offices, so do they? I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think that the mailroom. Mail which is interesting what, what, because no mailrooms and no interns. No mailrooms? Because that's, that's where he that's where he started. Out. Okay, so let's. But there's no mailroom. Let's get out of the mailroom now. No happen after. No happen after. So was that? So at that time, were you getting? Were you like getting to please listen to my demo? Like, were you getting that? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was the thing about Profile at the time, there really weren't any, it was a hip hop label. I mean, it had a lot of hip hop on it, but there were no like hip hop heads there. Uh, you know, Brian Chin, who signed Rob Bass and Special Ed, he loved hip hop, but his first love was dance music, right? So I, I guess that's why Corey gave me a job, you know, listening to demo tapes and doing A&R. And I was not very good at it. But uh, who who were your signings, or who? Why, why you say you weren't good? Uh, at it? Well, I mean, I just wasn't successful in getting anybody across. Like I, I found Chino XL when I was, you know, at Profile, but I was not successful in making the sale and getting him signed. So, but uh, it wasn't long. You know, while I was working at Profile, I also was writing for the Source. They had were in the process of moving from Boston to New York. So, and, were you in that first summer issue, yeah. the the LL one? Uh, I wrote the LL cover story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cover your ears. <laughs> All right, you wrote that cover story. The one, the mama said, "Knock you out." Yes, I, I remember. Oh man, All right, the remember. nerd, the nerd in me is really about to <laughs> <laughs> go in, go in. Oh man, yeah, your like, Lego heart just like exploded. Yeah, exactly. Like so that that issue. I mean that probably next to the first five issues of Grand Royal Magazine. Wow, 
Grand like Royal. Somewhere yeah. in one of those 18 storage units are like, I mean, I would buy the source like three each and just preserve them. Because when I first got that LO issue and the Easy E issue, I remember, like, that's the first time I ever saw people truly understand and really wax poetic about hip hop culture in a way that Rolling Stone would or Cream Magazine. Like, like I'd read those magazines and just wonder, like, damn, like, wonder what it's like for someone to write about hip hop culture that way. I didn't know you wrote the, that cover story. I was just shot in the dark. That's crazy. And that was what, nine, 1990? 1990. That was 90. Uh, so I wrote the Public Enemy cover story, the Ice Cube cover story, and then the, the LL one. Oh, man. Did you review America's Most Wanted? I did. So well, you, it was more you, like a it was more like a essay on Ice Cube. Okay. Well, I know you that didn't Ice Cube give it issue. Mics. You didn't. Nah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, but I remember that was like the summer issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, America's Most Wanted got a five. How about I say yeah? He got five. Tribe got a five. Edutainment got a five. It did. Yes. Ugh. It did. A fourth album got a five that I... 1990. And I'm also shocked that I knew I knew you guys were the deal when something didn't sit right with me with Fear of a Black Planet, but it was kind of like, you know, I'll ride with it. You know, one of those things where it's just like, eh, well, probably how you felt about phrenology. <laughs> nah, <laughs> Yo, Ooh. okay. No, let's oh. go there. No, that's the same. Okay, okay. No, no. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> you, you, give, you give you give your act like I'll let it slide and just. You got a little I'll different go. in phrenology. Well, no, well, okay, we'll we'll talk about phrenology. So, fear of a black planet. You didn't. You well, you it, wasn't all the way on board with that one. Here's the thing, though. I mean, even though the the thing that still holds it in light. Now, mind you, I mean, it's twenty five years later, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, the pitchforks right up of it. They gave it a perfect 10 and really, really made it like presented in the way that even I didn't see it back then. Gotcha. Um, something was missing. And then I realized that that something was Sadler. So Sadler was sort of like on half the record. Okay. Eric Sadler had sort of made his graceful exit. And I couldn't quite place. Where was you know some songs I was a little the probably one of Cracker was like okay I like I fuck with that one I mean it I was mean, a nice change of pace I look I mean it's a masterpiece of a record but I still went for America's Most Wanted like that to me was now if we're doing oh, of course quintessential I'm, bomb squad yeah and nah. even for that matter Belba DeVoe's Poison album <laughs> no that was Bomb Squad too nah, it was I know so was. for me. It, of those three records, like I was kind of, I was, was kind of weird that it was like in the it, least the bronze. bomb squaddy. Of well, no, <laughs> it was it was a bronze to me, and the, there was a review they gave it three and a half mics in that source issue, wow. and I was like, whoa, this is. I said, wow, they're not salivating over this, and it wasn't like the dismissive, you know, Spin Magazine like oh, this is a ghetto yeah. music. I hate this, you know. It it was like a well informed, and I was like, wait, I kind of feel. I, I think I agree with this. So it's so weird that I didn't realize you were that era of yeah. old. <laughs> so how? No, but it was it was those first five issues that from that to brand Nubian issue. 
that to me because Alpha One got five too, right? I mean, yeah. In two issues, uh, two yeah. issues later, okay. There was okay. so much ambition in that era and those issues, like just to really have a voice that was ex- ex- exclusively dedicated to hip hop and and just smart and political, and just the people there were. I mean, that was Dream and Kierna and. You know, Maddie was Shecky. Was he still? Of was he? course. Okay. Yeah. What was your era there? Were you there from the beginning till? I when? was there when they were still in Boston when that summer issue was being written, right. and then I left to go work for Rick Rubin in ninety one. Ninety one. So ninety one was sort of my swan song with with the source. Do you remember your last issue? The last article I wrote. Oh man, I don't even remember. It was I. I, I don't remember. It was sometime in ninety one. I think was my last piece. Or ninety one or early ninety two. Well, yeah, that's as classic as it gets. What do you remember the albums you reviewed? I w- I did cover stories. I didn't and like feature articles. I didn't really do the album reviews because that was the James that was Bernard sort of the, the that was like the core group, the Mind Squad, right. you know. Um, and I I, I I sometimes I regret not participating. Like, I, I stopping my writing career to go into the record business. What now feels like, you know. I mean, because I had a lot of catching up to do when I moved back to New York. I went to go work for Rick Rubin, you know, in L.A. for about 13. I was ended up in there for 13 years. But I, like, not having that that writing career going forward, I thought. So was, you went from profile to mm-hmm. the source? Went from profile and I, you know, just wrote for the source while uh, I worked at profile. Oh, so and what, year, what year was profile? 89, October 89 to April 1991. So you were there for the first, was Naughty by Nature's first joint on? Nah, profi- nah, that, nah, that was, was that was, they was Tommy Boy. Um, 90s, who was it that at the was, um, right? So who was it? Someone, Honest, the first someone, Onyx. Who? Yeah, the first Onyx was uh, and we do it like this. Ah, okay. So wait, what was the roster? Just because I'm now, I'm confused. Profile, Run well, yeah. DMC, Rob Bass, uh-huh. Special Ed. Quit. Poor Righteous Teachers, which is my very first record, was Rock This Funky Joint, yeah. meaning promotion. You right. Um, L.A. Star. I don't know if you remember her. <laughs> yeah. I remember she got it. Did she have a gold tooth? Or? Yes. She I was remember in L.A. Star. She was on B-Boy <laughs> Records <laughs> for a while. Then Brian Chin signed her, and she made a pretty good album, but she got into this battle with um, Tretch at the New Music Seminar, this what? MC battle, and he said the only kind of star you could be is a monstar. Oh, and that, was, and that just ended the that career. That was the line of Was she the not whole, cute? She was not. No, I just, liked her. Okay. I mean, you know, that <laughs> okay. was, I, I, nothing that bad was to say a, about L.A. Star. Oh, so he that, just ended her ended career it. right there? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yo, it seemed like, it's funny, because you said Paul Righteous Teachers was your first record that you promoted. For some reason, it seemed like he got really well received in my area, like the DMV area. Did oh, you yeah. feel like it was easier yes. to promote because you kind of felt... Yeah, although there weren't really a lot of mix shows in D.C. at the time. Because remember, they weren't playing it on WPGC no, at that time. not Kiss. You know, so. Definitely not H.U.R. What was it like? Work? Okay, well, you left in 91. Did you have to work Back From Hell? Did I have to Back, back From Hell? Back From Hell, Run DMC's Run DMC. album. Was, was, that, was that 91? Yes, I 90. did. Oh, so here's the story, right? Here's okay. the story. So, <laughs> man, Rick comes call. I literally just get a call out of the blue. And the receptionist says, Rick's on the phone. And I knew it was him. I knew it was Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Okay. Yeah. Not because anybody told me he was calling, but because 
I don't know, Chino XL and I had been working on some demos and we had been talking a little bit and, and we just did like this, it's almost like this little incantation to sort of bring him out of the ether. And when they said, Rick's on the phone, I said, this is him. And I picked it up, it's Rick Rubin. So apparently Bill Stephanie had given him my number or whatever. Anyway, why was the hell was I telling you this story? Oh, the story, right. So Rick brings me out to Los Angeles. It's sort of like a courtship, you know. Uh, he's thinking of hiring me for Deaf American and... Um, one morning I'm staying at the riot Hyatt on sunset and one morning he calls and he says, um, uh, come downstairs. We're going to breakfast with Russell. So like Russell's in town. So we go to the Beverly Hills hotel and Russell comes down and, um, Russell's talking a mile a minute and Rick is laughing and, um, he recognizes me. Suddenly Russell recognizes me as the kid at profile who promotes, you know, his brother's record. And he says, and the the single at the time was a song called Faces, Faces. which was this oh, I remember really bad yeah. ah, new, new Jack, Jack swing. swing, you know. So, says, so what do you think of Faces? And I said, uh, and no. I said, uh, I said, and I just the wrong answer. I was such a punk. I was like, well, Russell, you know, I just think as far as rap R and B fusion, I think the kids are really listening to it in vogue and you know, they don't really want to hear rappers doing it the opposite way. Faith is a louder record than in vogue. I went into a club, that shit was so loud. It is much louder. <laughs> and Rick is losing his mind. Rick must have called three different people in the car after we left that breakfast saying, and Russell said, it's a louder record. And that's why it's better. <laughs> and that's when I saw like the nature of their relationship is that Russell makes Rick laugh, you know? And so in, in, it's in like a good a way or a bad way. Right, right. Right. I, I think in a Rick way. Do you I remember, mean, you know, do you remember faces? Yes. I dude, Wait. I had the Back from Hell album. Wait, just Play one, it. you know, I, yeah, I gotta remind it. It's faces by nineteen ninety era run DMC. In your face all the time. And the thing was that because it was faces, but the the single before that was pause, pause, right? Which was even more kind of new jack swingy. But they got away with pause. Jam Master J, Ron, Jam Master for the J first Rambo. time. Um, Jay, something, something, make something. up the tray, right? <laughs> and that's them reading to my homie Stanley Brown. Beep, 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 beep. Came out with the keyboard, the, the right. guitar. Wait, since you worked I there, I always wanted to know. There's there's a moment, the very last five seconds of the record. Where runs just like Yo, take that bullshit off. That that bullshit is bullshit. I always wanted to know if that was Run finally having a realization that they made some bullshit. The second worst album of their career on that label. Lior was so mad when really? that didn't sell i i have a copy of a memo that he sent to my he boss the ice the cube uh remix ice cube remix of uh back from hell that happened yeah oh, i think i remember yeah. that there was a ice cube it was it was a uh, uh chuck d and ice cube and run dmc oh my god back uh, from hell 
yeah. remix. That yeah, yeah so because at this time, and I wanted to ask you uh, about this if you were involved, because at this time, um, that was after Tougher Than Leather, and you know, Run DMC had been kind of away for a minute because they were going, they were worn with Def Jam. Mm-hmm. Well, Warren, you know, Russ wanted to get him on Def Jam, and Profile was like, no. Um, did you have any input or at that time, like, you know, working directly with them, like to try to say, like, hey, fellas, you know, this. Like, no, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, they were, they were autonomous at that point, working on their own. I mean, I was just the kid, you know, bringing dat tapes back and forth from the studio. That was, yeah. So when you hear this record, like, I mean, what? I have zero ownership of it, spiritually, <laughs> financially. No. So for you, it's just straight up, like, I just got to work it, and it's just the job. Yeah. Like, and I mean, listen, they got a, they got a, they got a certain amount of respect, you know. Regardless, right? You right. know, I take the record to Red. Red will play it. Take it to Chuck. Chuck will play it. It's not. Uh, that was, okay. What it else? Was not, there? Wasn't you, sticky. Did you work Special Ed's legal album? I did that? Wow, was my shit. That Come on, let's move it. So no, but that whole album. No, that whole that fucking. You so wish you could. The five. Mm-hmm. We, the, the five minute of mic. Yes, we do. Yep. That entire. I just. I just found that record uh, I had to pay an astronomical amount of it for the CD. Oh, it's out of print. Yeah, it is. It's out of print now. Out of print, it is. yes. But, uh, yo, that was so slept on. It was so entirely slept Howie on. Howie T was great. So I just want to know, how did Rick feel about your answer to Russell? Because remember, you said the whole reason that you were coming to L.A. is because of the possibility of you working with Rick. And then you said you felt uncomfortable with the way that you made him answer the question with Russell. So Rick was laughing his ass off. So he off. was happy. So he <laughs> yes. was happy with what you said. Yes. Okay. And so you were, were, you, were you hired? And then, well, then, Rick, then Russell well, called and left a message on Rick's machine. He said, uh, if you don't hire that kid, I'm going to hire him. He don't know nothing, but I like his attitude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they were amicable, at least. I, I, they really I would... were. Russell used to call me, like, in the mid-'90s when I was working for him, when they were really... When Russell was trying to put together his Polygram deal mm-hmm. and get off of Sony, they were heading into their... They were trying to put their 10th anniversary thing together, mm-hmm. and Rick still had not finished the negotiations, and he was like, can you, you know, can you get to... Rick is not doing anything. He needs to move forward, so he would call me sometimes and ask if I could push it forward. But So when you went to Rick... Is this before or after the original Ghetto Boys uh, debut on his label? I believe during, that was during. Yeah. So oh, man. he had just signed them, and uh, then Geffen dropped Deaf American because of it. Right. And that's when I started to, you know, have that little like four month courtship period, and that's when. You know, we got the. I guess we can't be stopped, right? That was when yeah, that that was yeah. The, the that one they that. dropped on. It dropped on rap a lot. And I think that Rick felt some pressure, not really pressure, because Mo Austin. So he had an option to have we can't be stopped before they went to rap a lot. That's right, that's right. Um, and I think he decided once he moved to Warner Brothers that you know he had fought well enough for the first one and that he didn't feel very strongly about we can't be stopped which is ironic really because that was the one a, yeah, yeah that was the one <laughs> and it's called oh, we can't listen, be stopped i mean <laughs> I, yeah the first one was that was it was grip it on that was it grip it on the, grip other, it level? On the other level which yeah. is basically the same record yeah. uh 
some engineering was was a little different. And did they not add an H to Ghetto Boys on the original? I think the original pressing of G A G T T O G E. Yeah, yeah. Right, but then they went back to G E T O. Right, but they're initially when they were on Deaf American, they tried. G- they were. We, he was on Deaf American when he got shot. Right. When he, yeah, he got shot uh-huh. in the eye, and uh, so that was. You know, we were still like concerned about his health and everything, and um, but. You know, now we're getting to the era where, like, the sum of my A and R mistakes far outweigh any successes. <laughs> oh, tell us, you know. Well, what, I mean, what were your mistakes? Yeah, because well, okay, here's an example. Paul Stewart was probably the best, you know, all around uh, talent scout in Los Angeles at yeah. the time, and you know, Paul brings me House of Pain's demo, Uh-oh. and uh. there's this song on it called Jump Around, and I love it. And I give the tape to Rick. I dub a tape for Rick. And Rick calls me. And I said, did you listen to House of Pain? He says, yeah, I love that song, Jump Around. A lot of jumping. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a good Rick. That's a good Rick. Very Rick. And and he says, I really like that song. I said, I like it too. He says, but do you think there are any other, do you think they have any other songs on this? Like, do you think they, and I said, "Mm, no, I think this is the only one they've got. And then we just let it go. And And of course, we were right. But we were oh so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Who else? Who yeah, else? Give us another one, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is your greatest misses. Really? <laughs> the far side demo. What? <laughs> oh man. That's the first oh, hip hop wow. album I ever listened to man. all the way through. Listen. What? And if you're it. just now joining you us, this is Quest Love Supreme. <laughs> How, and we're here man? with Dan Charnas. Bizarre, and he right? is talking about all his greatest misses. So how did how did you how did you miss out on that one? What what was the story with that? Oh, one? yet another you know sort of Paul Stewart incredible demo, and I liked it. I guess you know what was I was just on some shit. I was like, I work for Rick Rubin, and everything I do has to be perfect, and you know I just don't know. I don't know if this adds up. It seems kind of silly, you know, and I don't you know it's stupid, you know, because once I heard for better or for worse. Oh man, wait, that was now, on the demo. No, it was not on the demo. It was Stop not on the demo. Playing. It was not on the demo. <laughs> it was. It was Mr. Officer and... Uh, in its current state? But Passing Me By was on the Ooh. And you passed it by. <laughs> Straight I up. I passed it by. Damn. Uh, was it you or Rick summer. didn't feel it? it I, it's not that I didn't feel it. I just didn't get behind it fast enough. Didn't you know what I mean? Like, you didn't fight to... I didn't. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, it took me a minute because... Bizarre When ride. your mama came out, I fronted on it. Yeah, your mama was like I fronted on your mama, yeah. and then the remix of your mama too. Though. When nah, the the re- was funny. The remix of your mama mm-hmm. that was whack, and even they said that. I'm oh, sorry. I'm your mama remix is whack. They did. They <laughs> right? did Enjoy. say yeah. that. Damn, they Bro, did. remix is whack, dude. It sucks dick. Yeah, Damn, they um, did say that. in the album. Yeah, but then when we <laughs> got the record, and when for better for worse came on. Yeah, that was one of those moments. Jesus. That's the first time that, don't like, stop, I heard Fender Roads sound like water and rushing. 3D, right? <laughs> and to look at the album cover and to hear that song, like, it just the personality. Like, I think that's the last time I got lost in watching an. You know, like when you're a kid, when people talk about like 70s experiences Mm -hmm. of looking at album covers and listening, 
like I just got lost in a total trance. Like that song perfectly encapsulated to me what they were about. And and then with the guitar, that, and the that, end. that song made me hire, made me fuck you, Fonte. That was my tribute. Um, no, but I, I, that, that's also the song that made me instantly hire Scott Storch to the roots. Ah, to we, play. We were keyboardless, and then when I heard that, I was like, no, I want that on my record. And then Rich was like, I, I got this guy living at my crib. On my floor, he he could play that. Ah, uh, damn! He brought Scott to the studio the next day, and it was like, "All right, you're in the group." Damn! So that was so. So he fronted on, on the far side, but I won the far side. You <laughs> so that was man. That was what ninety one at this point. Ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. Ah, yeah, man. That summer ninety two, ninety three. So, mm-hmm. in talking about your time at Deaf American, and I was um, I was just always curious. Like, it was something. I don't know if it was a branding thing. I don't know what it was, but like they never, that label never seemed to, I mean, other than Sir Mix-a-Lot, which I mean, we can, you know, go into depth about, but other than that, it was, I don't know, like just as a fan at that time, their releases didn't seem to have like that, I guess that kind of, um, like a Def Jam, you know what I'm saying? That just, mm-hmm. I gotta buy this, you know what I'm saying? But the records were dope. Like That the would nuts. be my fault. How was that your fault? How was that your fault? I'm just, I'm, you know, because I, I mean, mean, like the knots. That was like World oh, Ultimate was my. The knots was on. Yeah, you signed them. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I swear to God, dog. I listened to on the air, maybe, no exaggeration, maybe nine hours in a row. I kept that shit on loop all Christmas Day. Just yeah. On the edge, to the it's, eye. That was my record. Oh my to the god, eye. that whole like when we first came to Los Angeles, the uh, mixtapes was mm-hmm. and see mixtapes. I wasn't big on. I was like, eh, mixtapes. We used to whatever. make fun of mixtapes. Bus stops was the shit though. Bus stops was the one. That's how we met the Jazzy Fat Nasties. Ah, that's right. Uh, really? They were in that video. They were in the video for bus stops. We when we first came to Los Angeles, I had met Dawn. On her way to shoot, uh, like shoot a nonce video. They were okay. in a bus stop video, and they gave me a cassette of it, and we were listening to it. We kind of clown like I used to sell mixtapes. Now I'm in MC, but you got them beats. You know the rock them tapes. You know like the songs that you, you make fun of that suddenly it clicks. It beca- <laughs> we made fun of it so much that it suddenly became our shit. <laughs> and then it was like, yo, we got to get him on stage and, and rock with us. Like, like just. Okay, so you're producing. So we didn't, we, we got to get into that, your time as a producer. Yes. So how did you make that transition? It was more like these were artists like, you know, Chino and Quest back in New York. They they didn't have a place Quest, to make Quest records. Mad Quest Mad Lad. Mad Lad, Mad Lad yeah. yeah. So, you know, they would come to my apartment you know, on 9th and 20th right there in Chelsea when it wasn't a gentrified neighborhood. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was just, they liked some of the stuff they were doing with me and I managed to, you know, get a couple in there, which was good. So you were, and you were making beats on the SP at that time? I, I was making beats on an ASR-10 and a Roland W30. And then I bought King Tech's SP-1200 uh. from him. 
and added that to the repertoire. And how did you learn it? How did you? Because I mean, it wasn't no manuals, no shit. I, I imagine. It's just just trial and it. error. Yeah, and error and error and error. What did you produce on on uh, their records? Um, well, for Chino Excel, uh, I did a song called Rise, which was the last song on the album. And uh, Quest the Mad Lad, I did a song called 101 Things to Do While I'm With Your Girl. So you, you, yo, I was so mad at you for using that brick sample, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my, yeah. wait, I, I hate that every everything that he's done is like a childhood memory of mine. <laughs> no, that Living oh. from the Mind sample is like, I got that shit when I was six years old. That was the first eight track I ever got as a kid. Damn, you actually got an eight track for... Wow. This is Sleepy Brown's pop singing. What? Finally a reference. Yeah, living living from the mind from Brick. They were from Atlanta. Sleepy. Yeah, his dad, uh, Jimmy Brown. Of yeah, course he came from funk. That was yeah, it. but when that was like, not even like, you know, like records when you're making beats and like, oh, I'm going to sample that one day. But then there's like records from your childhood. When I heard that shit, I was so, I've never been so mad at a sample used ever. I'm sorry. I was like, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but it was perfect, man. Like, even the, wait, what was the drum break? It was New Birth. Did you flip it? Yeah. It's, new um, Birth. With, uh, it's a new, it's a kick. Boom, boom. It was, uh, yeah. So at what point in your career did you know, because you went from, I'm just, I'm backtracking. I'm like, you went from mailroom, A&R, writer, and then you, when did you know that you could even make beats? Like when did you even I mean, did it all along? You know, like even in college, you know, worked on music and stuff. I was in the Inner Strength Gospel Choir. I was the I'm bass sorry, player what? of the Inner Strength Gospel <laughs> Choir. <laughs> now that I of didn't know. You were. <laughs> Afro, whoa, that's that's African American studies for you. Yeah, when you were the, the bass strength. player for the you Inner know Strength. You know you good. <laughs> The inner strength gospel choir. You're a musician by nature anyway. That's just something that you left out at the beginning. But, I mean, a bass player, that's not something that just you do. You failed know. musicians become producers. Yeah, I know. Was yeah. this a... Failed <laughs> producers become A&R. A&R. Wait, can okay. I ask, was this was this a, a a black gospel choir? Yes. Someone was... Are there I forgot others? who it was. Shut up, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> like, when's the last white gospel choir you saw? I'm just saying. I don't think there's a lot of them. Richard Scott. Look, look on YouTube. <laughs> no, th- someone uh, during the voodoo tour joked. It was like, when they didn't know Pino that well, he's like, man, if your bass player is a white boy in an all black group, you know he a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were the bass player. I was. And did you learn, like, were you formally trained in music or was it all just by ear or how'd you learn? Um, mostly by ear. But So, wait, because we're, we're just skimming through his whole. History. That Quest record was so slept on, though. It was. Criminally. How did you feel when he got the, the rap page discovered, though? Well, here's the story behind that. Because Sheena was editing at the right, time. Right, right. And Sheena was a friend. And she uh, heard the advance and assigned Bobby Garcia to do the cover story. So Bobito wrote that cover story. Uh. Right. But here's the thing. We were putting our rap releases not through WIA, which was the big Warner distribution company. We were putting them through Tommy Boy's independent distribution. Yeah. And Tom Silverman felt that we didn't have enough 
radio play on the two singles we had put out to justify putting out the album right away. Mm. And, you know, we sort of panicked and I'm like, you know, I don't know if we have another single on this. Let's do four more songs. And it was a terrible time for Quest and unfair to him, you know, in terms of he'd he'd done this beautiful album and, you know, we were finding ourselves doing more records. And then finally Sheena came along and said, well, listen, you're either going to release that album and I'll put the cover out. Or if you don't release the album, I'm not doing the cover. So that's when I decided to put it on the schedule anyway, because of Sheena. Yeah, dude. Uh, I mean, you know, in case you think that you threw a pebble out there and it didn't ripple and didn't. <laughs> dog, I love that record, man. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, Deaf American. Like again, like y'all made the records that I bought, I and mean, they were dope. But it was just something, and maybe it was like the distribution that you mentioned. I don't know, but. It just seems like they didn't get that same love that I guess a lot of other records were getting. I don't know why that was. You know what I'm saying? Because the shit was dope. But Bill, did you know about Quest the Mantlet? Nope. All right, I gotta play. I gotta play. I gotta. I mean, you're hip hop. You're not alone. You neither. You are not alone. You've seen the video. I'm honored. This shit was always on the video. I probably just had to hit a song. I know, just like y'all did. did Not Quest the Mantlet. 101 things to do while I'm with your girl. It's a great title. Hey, yo. What's oh. up? It's Quest again. Speaking of all the niggas out there that got girls, on the real, you better stop hitting them and mistreating them and neglecting them because, yo, no joke. No, I'll fuck them. Word. Check it. Now, this may sound foul, messed up, wrong, or shady, but if you and your girl ain't tight, yo, I'll fuck your lady. You better get her in check because it only takes one wrong move to make me get right. Case in point. Dog. So much classic shit, man, and and yeah, it just got a little story about that. You hear that eight oh eight? Yeah, that's an actual eight oh eight drum machine. It's Rick's eight oh eight that's making that. All right, y'all. You know what season it is? Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? 
That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're into the first hour of Questlove Supreme, <laughs> only on Pandora, here with uh, the illustrious and praiseworthy Dan Chonis. Uh Renaissance man, jack of all trades. The black, black, the black the white, bass player. The, the white, black bass player, yes. Black, the white bass player in the black, the black ensemble. Group. Black gospel group. Man, yeah, that's some, that's some shit. Sir Mix a Lot. Yes, sir. That was like the biggest song ever. Like, what was it like working that shit? So that starts, you know, Rick calls me at Profile Records, says, I'm in town, I'd like to meet you, you know. Uh, and so he he asked me to come to 298 Elizabeth Street, which was the old Rush Def Jam offices. And he still had his apartment on the top two floors. And he threw down his keys from the fifth floor so I could let myself in because the buzzer wasn't working or whatever. And Def Jam had moved out. It was just Rick in this abandoned uh, you know, brownstone in the middle of the village. And so he decided that what we should do, our first, you know, sort of meeting or, you know, evening together is we would go to Tower Records and he would buy me records that he liked. Okay. And I would buy him records that I liked. And I bought like EPMD, uh, Big Daddy Kane, Bismarcky, Main Source, and he didn't like any of them. He just like was not wow. interested what? in any of it. Yeah, some that's not surprising. And so I can kind of, it just was not his era. You know, he that was the era that he left hip hop, right? And then what did he play me? He played me Audio Two, Milk D, wow, and Sir Mix a Lot. Both two MCs with really high so nasally was, voices, and I'm like, they both sound like Ad Rock. Does he just like MCs? And like <laughs> and then the posse is the only way to go. And then so. For whatever reason, he hires me anyway, which I thought was a great leap of faith for him, right, uh, to give me a shot. And then a month after that, he says, I signed Sir Mix a lot, right? So he got at the time, so, so his first two records, uh, Swass and uh, I can't remember the uh, The one with Beepers was yeah, on, the one, I forget. That, was, that wasn't on Def America. That was on Nasty Mix, a Seattle Nasty Mix, right. So he signed Sir Mix a lot off of that, got him out of that deal put him on his new deal with Warner Brothers okay. and had a finished album and he sent it to me and he says, listen to it and tell me what the single is. And I am not looking forward to listening to this Sir Mix-a-Lot album because <laughs> I am not a fan and I'm supposed to pick a single. So I'm listening into the album and then third track is, oh my God, right? <laughs> and look at her butt. I had just, you know... It completely changed my mind about Sir Mix-a-Lot because I had just read this article in the Village Voice by Lisa Jones, who was Amiri Baraka's daughter, and she wrote about you know the sort of resurgence of the you know Afrocentric beauty aesthetic, and you're seeing more curvaceous women in magazines. Beverly uh, Peel, I think, was the model back then. Who yes, was the first. she was. Right. Lord Jesus. Right. So I was like, he's doing, you know, exactly. He's saying exactly what Lisa Jones was saying. Sir Mix-a-Lot's a feminist. Right? 
<laughs> so uh, Rick calls me. He says, um, so did you listen to the album? I'm like, yes, Baby Got Back. It's a single. He says, I think so too. So was that all your conversation? Like, yeah. Did he ever have like a Lots conversation where you were like, hey, Dan, uh, how you doing? It was always no. that like, grasshopper voice. He would, he would like come back from Lollapalooza. I'd say, hey, Rick, how was Lollapalooza? He said, it's a lot of jumping. <laughs> he had a crazy sense of humor not to get off the topic but he would he would come into a recording studio and if he didn't like what he was hearing he would just say I've got to leave my doctor says my homeopathic doctor says I can't be allowed around a lot of heavy electronic equipment oh, he's a record producer wow that's something Steve uh, would say I, wow um, I had to make a, I, I wanted to make a video for the Art of Origin. He only gave me $5,000 to make it. And I'm like, listen, I, I got a treatment, but I need $20,000 to make this video. And he says, all right, I'll give you the $20,000. But now you have to make four videos. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the first thing I did when I moved to LA was, you know, go to the Chaplin stage. It was the old A&M lot. And that's where we shot Baby Got Back. And I walked into the set and I thought, oh my God, this is a cartoon. Like, they're going to totally ruin the po- the politics of this song. This is a serious song. You, you thought you were going to make a political statement. I just thought the director did you not was look making... At the, 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 did you not look at the treatment where, it was like, this big ass was... <laughs> Apparently, the treatment was Mix-A-Lot told the director, it's me rapping on a big ass. <laughs> so you didn't tell Sir Mix-A-Lot that there was a political angle that we could win with and it was his angle to have i just walked into it i'm like oh my god is this going to be a cartoon how's this going to be because now we see it as an iconic video but walking into that room it felt like because in mixlot was upset because he said none of the dancers had asses right so that was a problem for him then they put yeah I've heard that. <laughs> all right i can admit it now i was like eh. yeah if some baby got back the ones in wasn't... gold not the one in yellow the one in yellow is fine. Right. <laughs> in the beginning. A, the ones in gold with the little shorts, the shorts. The, the, the yeah, shorts. Yeah. And then there was a woman of color who they were dressing as a mermaid for some reason, and they put a blonde wig on her. And that was like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? So Mick Slot's getting ready to walk off the set. Adam Bernstein, the director's getting ready to walk off the set. Ricardo, the man, uh, uh, Ricardo Frazier, his able manager, managed to you know pull everything together. The video happened. And it ended up being fantastic. And all my fears and anxieties, you know, it ended up not being warranted. All right. So baby got back. Shit goes through the roof. Did you feel a little, I guess, vindicated as an A&R? Like, did you pick the right one that time? I didn't because I wanted an MC that I signed to become a hit. So I had put a lot of faith in Quest and a lot of energy into Chino Excel. And Chino Excel, that was another story because he was part of a group called The Art of Origin, um, a duo from East Orange, New Jersey. And his partner was Carrie Chandler. Carrie now, Chandler. if you know Old house. house music, yeah. Carrie Chandler was then an incredible deep house producer, but now he's a legendary. Yeah. You know? And I learned so much about producing from Carrie. I mean, Carrie took me from here to, to there. What happened with Chino's record? Uh, I remember there was a... Oh uh, God! What was the? It was a sample clearance that I think you guys had problems with because he said it was a line about Miles Davis or something, and it was a line about everybody. Y- yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he was talking. So shit he about everyone. everyone. I think Chino was at a Is point. Is that putting it lightly? <laughs> after, after you know, he had 
been trying to get a deal since 1989, 1990, and it was already 94, 95. And he just had it. He says, you know what? I'm just going to tell the truth. A way that I, you know, I'm going to say the what I, what everybody's afraid to say. You know, the relationship between, uh, you know, Eddie Murphy and another <laughs> actor who should name unnamed. You know, like we made a poster, like a, a black and white poster out of all of his punchlines. And um, really, yeah, and that's what got him on MTV. I was going to say what offended to I don't know the 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 line that offended right. Tupac. Gino and two, yeah, Tupac. Here's yeah. the deal. But I know that it must have got under his skin because I've never heard the words fuck you uttered <laughs> so hard. hard and with like you heard the steam the venom. <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, fuck. Like, what was yeah, what was now that I am a professor at the Clive Davis Institute, I understand <laughs> the importance of writing instruction and the importance of a misplaced modifier. Okay. That's the problem with Chino Excel and Tupac because Chino said, um, by this industry, I'm trying not to get fucked like Tupac in jail. What he meant was oh. Tupac's trying not to get fucked, uh, right? But what but Tupac heard never, was, Tupac not, got he said, I got jail. fucked in jail. Right. This right. is not a, this is a cactus turn hammer's mother out yeah. moment. This is a second grammatical error that's led to some shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is it. In two, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Damn. That's what it was. Did they ever, you know, did they ever make peace? Did they ever squash it? Or? No. No, Tupac died. Yeah, because uh, you hear the Savior all coming up, 95? 96. Ah, oh, I can't. Oh, but there it is. I do remember, though, when... Tupac died, Chino called me and he was crying because he really liked Tupac. I mean, he liked him as an M- MC. He liked him as a lyricist. He, I, I think he wished it had gone another way. And I, I remember going to, uh, went to Vegas with James Lopez, of all people. <laughs> wow. That was when um, Machiavelli came out. And James and I went up to, the, up to the room and Chino stayed in the car just to listen to Machiavelli alone, you know, like mm-hmm. to have that moment. Yeah, man. So after, so your two main acts that you signed, uh, Chino and Quest, and then Baby Got Back, like goes through the roof. Um, the follow up to that album, it was, uh, was it? Was put them on the glass. Put them on the glass, <laughs> which didn't become a huge hit, but it made Seinfeld. So that made Jeez. me proud. <laughs> <laughs> the video was me. <laughs> She's not gonna put them on the glass. <laughs> Because so, that was okay. Mac Daddy was the was baby was got back. baby got back. What was that album? Uh, the one after the one to put him on a glass album. Don't uh, make a liar out of me, Chief. Chief Bootknock. Chief Bootknock. How do you know that? Chief Bootknock. I, I could see it, but I couldn't call it. Was that I, the one with Fake Louie on it? That was Swap Meet Louie. That was Mac Swap. Daddy. That was Mac that was Daddy. Mac Daddy. Oh, okay. Did y'all okay. ever get see Dolores Tucker? Was that like no. after season? No, we were not important or successful enough to ever. <laughs> That's the one good thing about my A&R career. Sort of flew under the radar with uh, old Dolores. No Time Warner controversy, nothing. But I was there during that whole thing. I mean, that's actually one of the scenes that ended up in the book, that Mo Austin and Lady yeah. Warnocker called a huge meeting of all of the important rap artists and their managers. So everybody came. Tom Silverman came. Bill Stephanie came. Uh, cool G Rap came. Ice-T came. George Hinojosa came. Um, you know, everybody was in one room. Paris was in the room, right? Oh, that was shit. When, uh, so that, this is for context. This is in 1992. There's a big controversy over Ice, 
Ice T's heavy metal heavy song metal. with his heavy metal band Body Count. Mm, Somehow, I'm... rap music gets blamed <laughs> right. for that. Um, and so Warner has, you know, been basically the board of Warner read the Riot Act to the music group and. He said, listen, if we're going to have a lyrics board here, it's going to examine all the lyrics. And if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to be put through that, we understand and we're going to let you go. Right. If you if you you can, we'll release you, you know, no problem. Mo was a good guy and he was in a really, really bad position and put in a really bad position by um, Bob Morgato and Jerry Levin, who had, you know, were over him. How long did that last? Didn't last long because once there were two phases to the culture wars in the 1990s, right? Mm-hmm. The first phase was 1992, which was the body count cop killer where the police unions all over the country were boycotting Time Warner. Mm-hmm. That subsided after the, because that was an election year, right? That was when Clinton got elected. Then it happened again. The C. Dolores Tucker phase was like 95, 90, yeah. 94, 95, something like that. And her big goal was to get Time Warner to drop Interscope. And she succeeded, but then Interscope basically walked with all its masters and got paid double by Universal Mm. to set up shop over there. So I think everybody knew. (laughs) Hell yeah. I had to. (laughs) That actually scared me. Talking about Interscope now. You can't, in other words, you can't, it's like whack-a-mole. You know, you beat it down over here, it's just going to end up over there. Um, and so that ended pretty much ended the culture wars. So when did you leave uh, Deaf American? When Rick lost his Warner Brothers deal, when he sort of had a got a smaller deal oh. over at Sony in ninety. God, what year was it? Ninety uh, ninety seven. Mm. Okay, I I won't have a chance to ask him this unless he does the show. But would you happen to know what his opinion was? of the Paul's Boutique record. Did he ever mention, or the BC Boys at, at that point, in that moment? Like, I'll tell you this. I, I I can only give you sort of little vignettes, right? So the first vignette is me going to LA for the first time with Rick and him being in line at uh, Club Lingerie, I think it was, and like <laughs> Ad Rock is in front of us, you know, and just having a very terse conversation with him. Like, these were best friends you know and they're being civil to each other but there's no like there's no connection there the second vignette is um a couple years later i'm walking around the office whatever and he stops me and he points to my shirt and he said i like that shirt that's a shirt that adam would wear and i realized at that point my mind went back to that first thing i realized he misses his friend you know but he just didn't know how to do the things he needed to do to keep that friend. You know, there were financial betrayals. There were, you know, friendship betrayals. Yeah. And, um, but I do know that he, I think he liked Paul's Boutique. He, he really admired Matt Dyke. You know, Matt Dyke was his friend. And I think Dyke helped on that album a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was m- more sort of, there was a little bit of schadenfreude because Paul's Boutique lost money for capital, mm-hmm. you know, because they had caused him so much tumult when they left, you know. So, I mean, was I don't he know a if good, that your Was question. he a good businessman or was he a creative man? Rick is a creative man. There's no question So who was mind. his Russell? 
He didn't have a Russell. That's the problem. <laughs> that's why. That's why American recordings did not do well, really ever. Um, I mean, they had a few hits, but he didn't. He didn't have somebody, a partner who could do what Russell did, and that's why they were so good together. And um, you know, Russell never found a creative person like Rick again, but he found another kind of symbiotic relationship with Lior. Yeah, if you could call that symbiotic, <laughs> but I, but I, I was just say it. So ninety seven, um, you leave, uh, you leave American. Um, where do you go from that point? I went to work for Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker was starting a record company, um, and yeah, Spirit Dance Music, mm. uh, distributed through Epic, and I tried to sign the Far Side again <laughs> in ninety seven. Because they wanted off of delicious vinyl or whatever, and and I was trying to make a way for them. We ended up signing Trey. Trey, Trey, Trey. Uh, Oh, just Trey from the far side. Yeah. Oh. 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 Man, Mm. did anything ever happen? No, because I wasn't Trey messing with um not Doogie Howser. Parker Lewis can't lose. No, no, no. It wasn't. No, you talking about um your boy Brian Austin Green. Brian Austin Green. But that was for Yab Yum. Yeah, right? that was yes, on Yab Yum. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That album actually wasn't bad. It it wasn't it wasn't bad. I heard Austin I heard Green, it wasn't. That... You never heard it? Uh, but it figures you've heard everything. <laughs> Not album wasn't bad. I mean, really. Bill, you be if you really knew what we were talking about. I right? just love that you got to Brian Austin Green from Doogie House. <laughs> you know, White Boy TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on. Nah, Brian Austin Green. The album was, was called One Circus. Stop Carnival. Ooh, yeah, One, one Stop Carnival. Yeah, he had a yeah. good single. I do remember a video. That you send me. It was like Trey was singing on it. The joint, it was a respectable joint. He was like the first Drake. He was like the first like TV star. Trey. Like, make the album. No, Brian Austin Green. Brian Austin Green. Damn, we haven't had a good rabbit hole in a second. You know what, though? When I worked for Forrest, I tried like hell to sign Crosswalk. Who's Crosswalk? Cody Chestnut. (gasps) I took Forrest. I said his R&B group before. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was it was like Beatles esque rock. It was dope. He was dope, and um uh. You know, I remember seeing him live. This is really early on. This is before I think he was ever making music with you guys. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, this next song is why record companies can't sign my group because of me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit like that. Just funny and really good. And I begged Forrest to sign him. And So, don't so Forrest was really doing his business? It wasn't like a vanity thing where it's just like, yeah, No, whatever. it wasn't a vanity thing. Just <laughs> like like Michael Jordan r- wasn't hidden beach. Yeah. <laughs> so Trey was like the star. That was that was a claim. That was all y'all signed. That y'all was, signed anybody else? They n- never released anybody. I went. What about up, Ghost Dog? Uh, that was happening right when I was there. Actually, there was, there was a film with Jim Jarmusch and right. RZA. It was RZA's yeah. first score. Yep, it was. I remember they were doing radio promotions behind that because they came to see us, RZA and Forrest. That was ill. But that's when I decided I had kind of had enough of the music business. <laughs> and I, you I, wanted to tell them about themselves? I, I wanted to write again. So my, since I was in L.A., the first thing I did was, you know, I, when, you, when you're when you in L.A. and you want to write, you, you tend to think of writing for the screen. So I ended up writing for the Lyricist Lounge show. And, oh, and then for, you'll love this, BET's Comic View. That's for you. Yeah, what for Comic View? What, what Who bits for Comic View? They had sketch comedy for a little while. Yeah. That's right. Oh. So 
I helped out for a season. How was that experience? It was great. Okay. I mean, I loved writing comedy. And in a way, it set me up for the breaks later on, you know, just in terms of that being in a room of writers, really, really funny people, Alice and Foose. And, um, oh, man, they're just really... You know, a lot of them had worked for Living Color, and I just learned a lot. Well, Lyricist Lounge was phenomenal. Like, that was, uh, that was the, the home of Tracy Ellis. Right. right. Yeah. That's where I fell in love with her, yeah. And most. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, most, uh, Wordsworth, like he, Dante. I had a chance one? to write with most a little bit, like, not, like, on a, on the sketch side. So he wrote the rhymes, and I sort of contributed ideas for the sketch. But most came, and Common came, and Erica came. Um, it was a really good, Didn't Tariq, really good time. I, th- I think. I believe Tariq did an episode. I'm not certain. I don't remember. When did you know you were funny? Yeah. In a realm of you've you've had a lot of hats, okay? So I'm just saying, it was it right, a moment? Well, here's what I used to do. I used to do this segment on, you know, the wake up show, yeah, King Tech yeah, and Sway. Yeah, yeah. So I used to do this thing where I would read, I would read, like the Steve Allen gag, right? I would read rap lyrics as poetry. And I ended up doing a bunch of sketches for them, and so that led to the gig with uh, with Lyricist Lounge. With Lyricist Lounge. Yeah. Why don't you think that worked, man? Because I thought that was, I mean, I thought it that was cost a slam too dunk. much. It, it did great in the ratings, but it cost too much to make. What were the What were the uh, Did most cost show it? twelve hours late? Uh, I think he was on time. Cool. I think he was. Back then. <laughs> Back then. Back then. This is South Africa, right? <laughs> no, I'm like, you can tell you. What was the what was the what were the calls? Fuliani, you ain't fooling nobody. He was the, it was like a presidential debate between him and uh Master Fool. Remember yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, I mean F U O L. Oh my god. Man, he was what, great. What, what, what why was it so expensive? What were the what were the costs involved? Just sketch comedy, wardrobe and union and I mean it was a real production. And uh, it was not something that MTV was used to doing. I mean, they were doing reality shows, which are just bank. Yeah, yeah. What was it about TV that you loved? Because, I mean, at some well, point, you were like, I'm staying. The ability to write something mm-hmm. and then have it, uh, you know, produced mm-hmm. and on TV. The immediate. It was yeah. so immediate. And um, I got a chance to actually act and to, like, to be a part of that thing. And that was... It was it was dope. Well, it was, it was also, my favorite job. It's also ahead of its time because I mean, about, even yeah. now MTV still has uh, uh, Nick's show. Uh, uh, Wild and Out. Wild yeah, Out. which is kind of... It's the cheaper version. Much cheaper version. <laughs> yeah. But no, nah, yeah, it was, it, I think it was, it's a show that would do much better now in like the Snapchat, you know, uh, meme era yeah. than, you know, back then. So... At some point, you decide. Okay, you want to. You're writing. Uh, when does the, I guess the beginnings of the big payback, the Bible? Like when does, when do you start writing the? It, it Old started Testament? when I wanted to do hip hop journalism again, and so I pitched. Uh, I pitched an article that nobody would buy. Vibe wouldn't. Vibe wasn't interested in it. Double XL wasn't interested in it. It was called Last Night a DJ Saved My Business, and it was about these guys who owned these disco labels in the 80s who thought they were going to be disco kings and ended up, rap fell into their laps and saved their asses, basically. So we're talking about Corey Robbins at Profile, Tom Silverman, uh, Tommy Boy, um, Fred Mineo at Select, right? The the record companies that basically funded the golden age of hip-hop unwittingly. They didn't, because they weren't, you know, they became hip-hop fans, but they weren't of hip-hop. So nobody cared about it. And then... (laughs) Um, 
so I decided at one point that I really, really missed New York and I wanted to come home. And so I, um, I just remember I, I, I was at a party with an editor of yet another magazine and I was pitching this article at him and he turned away from me in mid-pitch and walked away. <laughs> Damn! And I was like, all right, you know what? Maybe this is a book. So um, I had enrolled uh, at Columbia Journalism School to get my master's. And I did a lot of things there. Like I ended up, I did my master's project in the West Bank uh, in Palestine. And um, wow. I, I was either going to do a book on that or I was going to do this hip hop business history. And so it ended up being that. And my mentor there was the great Sam Friedman, um, who teaches this book writing class every year and only 25 people a year get in. You have to pitch him a book idea to get into the class. Oh, wow. And um, Was the big payback, was that your pitch? The big payback, was it was called Beats, Rhymes, and Cash at first, okay. right? And so I got in and then the very first day we're supposed to bring in like a sample chapter and NPR is taping the class for an, for a piece on the class because like so many people get published out of this class and so on NPR to this day there is a first of all I won the cliche award like every the most most cliches mm. per like oh, you know damn. so I was having a bad day anyway <laughs> and we got into this argument about whether old school was a cliche or a genre and I was maintaining it was a genre and he was maintaining it was a cliche and he says and this is still on NPR 10 years later. He says, as they say on the basketball, as they say on the basketball court, Dan, stop bringing that weak shit. Dang. Oh. That's my, that's my, but he's the guy. He's like that tough love. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. He's like that tough love teacher that got that treatment out of me. And I got out of that class, you know, a month later, that treatment was sold. And then I spent the next three years reporting the book. So how did you? How did that make you a better writer? Because I've only known you, I only know you now. So, what did that class do for you as a writer? How did it make you stronger? Just pouring over every word and every comma, trying to make every sentence as as elegant and efficient as it can be. You know, every every sentence has a function, every word has a function. But even more than that, I kept getting sidetracked because I'm a nerd you know, about music. And I wanted to talk about the emergence of the 808 drum machine. And I wanted to take these divergent paths into what Marley did and how much the, the bridge was so important. You and sound he, a lot like somebody I know. It's, yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> remind me of a good friend of mine. He, that he says. Uh, I'm here to talk. I'm watching me right now. <laughs> See, he says, Dan, it's about the music. I'm mean, sorry. He says, Dan, it's about the business, not the music. It's about the business. It's about the business. He kept saying that mantra to me. And um, and so I listened to him. And that's, I remember that first chapter I turned and he says, you can't write this chapter without getting the voices of Sylvia Robinson and Bobby Robinson. Like, I need to know what they were doing while Jay-Z was getting his Grammy. Where were they? Not Grammy. Oh, sorry. When he was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. awarding the, uh, you know, the F Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five were the first people to get inducted. Yeah. So that was a motif for the book. JD was uh, Jay Z was inducting them, and he wanted to. He knew the reader would want to know where the founding mother and one of the founding fathers of the business were at that moment. And I, and I'd, for the listeners, where were they? Um, Sylvia was in the hospital, and Bobby Robinson was at home watching so 
do you acknowledge this as the hip hop bible? No. I kind of see it more as the 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 40, 48 laws of power. Of hip- you know that that one book that every guy that went to jail has that like <laughs> like it's <laughs> No, I don't mean your book. I'm just saying like you I always see the 48 laws of power book in every like when Jay first got his office at Def Jam that book, I, I was like, are you strategically placing this here? As I visit your, he had a Nerf ball and a 48 Lost 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 of Power book. But, I mean, it is very informative and, and sort of detailing people's journeys. And why did you feel that was important? Was Because it wasn't out there or? Hip hop is so big that there are so many stories you can tell about it. And I couldn't have written my book without Jeff Chang having written Can't Stop, Can't Won't Stop. Stop, Won't Stop right? yeah. And I couldn't have written it without Brian Coleman having done Check the Technique. Check technique. Um, and not to even mention the smaller books, that it, that the earlier ones that, uh, you know, David Toop had done and... Um, Nelson George had done a pretty good book, um, Hip Hop America, yeah. I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, like the, the smaller, uh, you know, the books on smaller parts of the subject, like Ronan Rose's book yeah. on Have Gone Will Travel. Yeah. yeah. So all of them are really important, and I and I stand on the shoulders of all those folks. But the, my issue was uh, people really didn't understand that hip hop almost didn't happen, right? Mm. They didn't understand, like when I would read accounts of hip hop history, it was almost like Run DMC made a record and then they were huge, right? And that's mm. not how it happened. Right? People fought tooth and nail to get make this stuff successful. It almost didn't happen. I mean, when we think about New York in 1990, radio was backing away from hip hop mm. um, all over, right? Uh, mix shows were going away. So... It, it we were uh, hot ninety seven as we know it you know today was felt a million light years away, but people fought for it and so people I wanted to tell the story of people like Keith Naftali, the very first pop radio programmer to play hardcore hip hop in the daytime. We're talking NWA, Public Enemy, and other pop programmers across the country like Rick Dees, you know, thought it was laughable, you know, uh, that dangerous even. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And he was so successful that he convinced other radio programmers eventually that this was, you know, something that was worth doing and ended decades of segregation in radio because of it. So I felt like that was the important story to tell just for hip hop's sake. And then it's a great American story. Yeah. You know, that's why it's Alex, it starts with Alexander Hamilton, because I, I believe it embodies the same uh, ethos. Spirit, yeah. Can know? I ask, so since you were in... Los Angeles for the greater part of the 90s. Um, I mean, of course, now it's just, it's such a different, way different feeling and vibe. Um, and quick, quick backstory. So usually when, when, when guests come on, notable uh, guests, especially New York-based guests come on the show, I'm always fascinated uh, one one of the common denominator stories and experiences they have is they always have a a tunnel, not a tunnel, a Latin quarter story to tell. Um, but for me, it's like 
I'm more amazed at the fact that they're willing to court this danger and almost romanticize about this period in which, from my protected childhood eyes, it's like, yo, why would you even go to a building in which you might (laughs) might get shot? Is it really that much to, is it really worth it to hear nobody beats the biz? Like, like, do you? If that's the only place you you know you can hear it, yeah. Well, that said, living, I mean, I remember, like, now when I go to L.A., it's such a joyful feeling, like, ah, I'm going to L.A., and, like, I, st- I enjoy that feeling of landing, you know, L.A., ooh, I'm, you know, hang with my friends and go to nice restaurants, and it's, it's fun. But there was a period in L.A. where it was like, you know, we used to always make sure we don't wear no blue, no red, <laughs> yeah. know where you, you know, just know where you stand, don't cross anybody, you know, mad shook sightings, mad. <laughs> it was like that, yo. It's like yeah. San Nico. So in to be in L.A. during the period of Shug's reign, where any moment could be the moment where you could get got. Like, what was that like in in that period? Like, was it an enjoyable time, or or did you feel like you were so out of the circle that you could? I wasn't that close to power, I guess, in that way, and I didn't fetish death row. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't want to be around those folks. I didn't. You but know what I mean? You couldn't avoid it. Like the roots are the furthest thing from death row. Yeah, but. You know, Suge and Pac once came to a show, and I swear to God, even the air <laughs> just sucked the out the room. Like it was like <laughs> it, it. It was like unavoidable. Yeah. So how, like, how did you manage in that atmosphere? I mean, it, musically magical, but also questionable as I far think as being naive, and also f- the feeling that it's nor it was normal. You know, like when you're, you know, that whole thing about the frog and water or whatever, and you turn the, turn turn the, turn the temperature up, you know, it was just, that was part of the environment. Um, and I, I just also have this philosophy that bullies go away. You know, if you wait long enough, they, they're going to fuck themselves up. So I, seven years, (laughs) man. Yeah. Well, you know, in terms of his power, you know, his power was very short. Yeah, it wasn't twisted, um, yeah. And it turns out a lot of the things that people think he did or was legendary to, you know, that he did, he myth. Didn't, didn't do. Yeah. Oh, word? Now I'm like, yeah. He, oh. didn't, he didn't, I mean, he, you know. Did you have first-hand experiences with any, besides Russell and Rick? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, first-hand experiences, non-interview, but just like, and just daily interaction with any of the uh, the subject matters that you profiled, like as far as you being in the business. Well, there are a few run-ins with Dame or that that sort of. There's just a few things that uh, you know in the book that I was present for, right? So there's that meeting, you know, that big cabal meeting, right. you know. I mean, there's that, you know, that that fa- that fake email that's been going around for years about the secret meeting the in secret, LA, yeah, 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 you know, where the prison industrial complex and getting all the rappers to oh, like that wasn't <clears throat> real. <laughs> nah, that was the new Willie. Oh, I mean, the, but the, I did attend the real meeting, which was you know Mo Austin calling all of his artists, the extended family of artisan into a conference room and saying look here's the deal you know and it was a very sad meeting you know i think he was sad 
as the person who signed Prince and Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and, you know, uh, all these other Jimi Hendrix, uh, you know, to be in that position. It was humiliating for him. And then I was the person who had to go and um, basically create a dummy record company for Paris Um, because... Paris had gotten dropped off of Tommy Boy. He was Boy. off Tommy Boy, yeah. And Rick said, I'm going to put him on, I'm going to put him on American, but I can't put him on American, so we're going to create a whole new label for him. So I went to the Bay Area and basically helped create a label for Paris that like, became Scarface. Scarface right. 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 It was Because um, that, was that the one that Sleeping with the Enemy came out on? Which, which record was it? Was it? Because that was the one he wanted to call Bush Killer originally. I think Bush Killer remained... <laughs> I don't remember that album, dude. Um, but uh, I have to actually read the big payback to remember. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So after this, you write the big payback. Was it anyone that was reluctant to talk to you? Like anyone that was just like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> it just writes itself, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, there were people like, I really wanted to talk to Cindy Campbell, like uh, Herc's sister. Uh, um, because Jeff had done Herc, right, the artist, but I wanted to profile the business side, mm-hmm. and I approached Cindy Campbell, and she wanted money, and I said, "This, I just don't do that. I'm a journalist. I don't pay anybody for an interview. Mm-hmm. So, bye." You know, um, and obviously, you're never going to get Jay, you know, Jay Z in a, in a room to interview him. So, what you do is you report around people, 
um, as a journalist. You you start at the edges and you go around and around in circle, circle, and finally there's only one person left, right? And you can say to that person, you know, I'm not saying that I did this with Jay-Z, but I'm about to, you know, release a book that has a chapter on you or a section on you. I want to give you a chance to hear it before it goes out, um, you know, and comment on it. So usually, you know, people will want to hear what you're going to write about them. And if you approach them respectfully and whenever I interview somebody for the book, I always, um, you know, I always uh, offer them a read back. Oh, okay. Just because it's their story. So you, you know? never just do it blind, just like everyone. Gotcha stories. questions. Yeah, they know, they knew what it was going to be before Absolutely, it came out. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, man. Um, there were people who were mad, more, more people were mad when they got left out of the book. I was going to say, like, it wasn't, I, was like I don't think it was piece. disrespect. Nah, not at all. Yeah. Search was mad at me for a little while because he gave me a lot of time and I, I the, the section that he was in ended up getting cut and I, I apologized to him over that. Now, Search has a lot of stories, man. <laughs> he was great. He was we'll, great. Yeah. And he's still great. We'll put it this way. We barely got to the Cactus CD before his- <laughs> Derelicts of Dialect. Derelicts of Dialect. Oh, yeah. Second album. Yeah, we barely got to Derelicts of Dialect before it was like, oh, yeah, time to rap. Like three hours. It's- <laughs> Talk about the Latin Quarter. Yeah. That's he a, had a lot of Latin Quarter stories. He gave us, yes, the quintessential Latin Quarter stories. Um, the Big Payback. So how does this go from- because I don't, now you've never even told me this story. I don't know how does that go from book to movie to series on VH1. Okay, what was that journey like? Even before the book came out, there were some Hollywood types calling. You know, hey, like a meeting, whatever. And um, you know, so I, I, originally I wanted to do it. You ever seen the HBO movie The Late Shift? Yes, about the whole Let- Leno, Leno Letterman, Letterman fight. Yeah. And so okay. I wanted to do a you know, a drama, but with the real characters, right? A Rick, Russell, Dre, you know, hiring actors to play the real people. And that's a real problem for Hollywood. Like they have to buy all kinds of life rights, even though it may be true, you know. So eventually it came down to, um, you know, that wasn't going to happen. And I sort of gave up because I didn't want to do a fictional fictionalized version of hip-hop history. It was corny to me, you know, especially because any time you had a portrayal of hip-hop in some dramatic fashion, it was always, like, just wrong. Like, I remember The Sopranos had Bokeem Woodbine as massive genius. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is that when he got shot? The shooting, yes. right? That massive. was, like, the... Massive. Damn you good. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to do that, you know, and, and, and to make... How are you going to make the music sound good yeah. and period, right? And this is where you mm. come in. So um, what happened was actually Boz Lerman. I was going to I didn't know if you wanted to go there. Yeah, Boz yeah. Lerman called and oh, said, wow. you know, my people have read your, my team has read team. your book. It's and team. My team, <laughs> team has read your book and team told me I should meet with you. And uh, this was in the early stages of what would become the get down. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was in the middle of doing Gatsby, who's very nice. But what happened was I had an opportunity at VH1 to pitch them, but I could only pitch them if it was a dramatic, you know, mm-hmm. fictionalized dramatic. So I just did it. I came up with a story, you know, I eventually got over myself and I came up with a story about three college friends who graduate in the summer of 1990, sort of 
aligns with my own personal story, but also I think it's a really, really important time in hip-hop. It's like that time where it could have become everything or nothing, right? It was the year that um, Run DMC and Beastie Boys were blown away in sales by Hammer and Vanilla Ice, and it looked like the future was going to be this minstrel show, right? So, uh, shout out to little brother. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, so uh, and ninety nine point forty four percent of all hip hop. No, I'm playing. <laughs> nah, you're not. But it I'm not. Real. I'm not. <laughs> nah, let's talk about it. Okay. So, uh, I worked on the on the um, on the pitch, and I pitched it in a room in about ten minutes, and they bought it. Um, and then there's the long process of developing it. And the first part of development is to find a director, writer who can actually get this stuff on the screen. And I just, I wasn't selling myself as that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remained as an executive producer, but Seath Mann was the the guy we luckily found to to helm it. And, and Seath is, uh, for those listening, Seath is a uh, TV director. He's done, man, several episodes of The Wire. Mm-hmm. He's done, did he do, did he work on Treme? Did he do Treme? Or he didn't he do did... Treme, but he did Walking Dead, Walking I Dead. believe. Walking Dead. And um, uh, Elementary. Alex did uh, Treme. I, the, he, yeah, I don't want to give nothing away, but yeah. So Seath is great. And Seath, you know, I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. He grew up in Silver Spring. We grew up listening to the same stations. We both grew up listening to hip-hop and, and, and go-go. And so we have, even though he's like seven feet tall and I'm four feet tall and, you know, he's black and I'm white and he's got dreads and I got no hair. I got so. We, we, you know, <laughs> we, uh, I, I'm, I, he's my brother, you know, and he, he has done, so he did a great job on the pilot script. And then it came who are how are we going to create this musical universe and um preem dj premier was first on the list uh and i reached out to him and you know i met preem when i interned for wild pitch there was like a little sliver of time before i worked for profile where i did it i interned for wait 89 89 so was that uh so wait this is as a jeff sledge as a hip-hop historian do you have multiple copies of Buster Move Boy? And if you do, can you share them? <laughs> <laughs> Gangstars uh, um, had three 12 inches before. Before Manifest? No More Mr. G- nice Guy album. Uh, mm, I'm afraid I do not. Damn. But I think I know somebody I know a who guy. might. No guy knows that. a guy. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking for Buster Move Boy. I would. I would do anything to have A1 Records back in running order, not online, but like yeah, not A1. Uh, uh, the Sound Library. Oh, Sound Library. Yeah. Well, can I ask a writer question? When you went to VH1 with your pitch, what did you have exactly? Because you didn't have a rundown of the, what the show totally was going to be for the season. You didn't. Have- I did. It was just in my head. So I pitched in a room from off the dome. Freestyle, son. That never happens. (laughs) Bar, son. And what was so? What was the 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 line? Like, what was the the tag? Like the the one line, the log line of the show, kind of in that way. Like they they really summary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we may have said something like it's sort of like the hip hop Mad Men. Okay. We might have said something like that. Um, but you know, it's it was about 
the business. And what was really important is that we had a really strong female lead mm-hmm. character who's Afton. really interesting oh, and man. very complex and, you know, a liar. A pathological liar. <laughs> wait, yeah. wait, wait. Makes her interesting. Nikki, you know? I didn't pick this up in the pilot. Wait a minute. No, Nikki is fucking, oh, God. She's, I, and we talked about it how, and, you know, the way it worked out, we're, we kind of have a, uh, I don't know if it's a renaissance, but there's a lot of, you're seeing kind of the black female anti-hero character on TV now, where you have, you know, I mean, Cookie and Mary Jane and Olivia Pope. You know what I'm saying? Where you have anti mean and they're not the typical Well, anti hero in the sense that they're people that you They're not just a foil. Yeah, they're not just like the good person. Like I mean they're right. kind they're of fucked up people. They're, they're complex right. people. Complex. You know what I mean? And they're not just totally all good. Right. And Nikki's character, uh, when I when you sent me the script, I read it, I was like, Yeah, she's gonna fall. And I didn't know who you were gonna cast. I didn't I didn't know who to who We didn't know either. Father, how'd you get involved in the show? Man, how did I get involved in the show? I don't even, how did well, I so get hired? Preem, Preem was the first step, right? <laughs> the music, right? So I, I wanted to make sure that we had somebody who understood the vocab, the sonic vocabulary at the time and would be able to make beats that sounded like they were, because we have a character who's a rapper and another character who's a producer. Um, the producer has to make beats exactly like they would be made in 1990, using the same samples and using samples, Thank using you, breaks, was very important. Very important. And um, and then we needed to have an MC who also spoke in the vocabulary and cadence of the time. And I knew only what, there was, a, I had a list, and Preem was <laughs> at the top of it, but there was only one person. There was only one person that I wanted to get for lyrics producer for the show, and that was Fonte Coleman. Oh, and man. I will tell you why. Because <laughs> Fonte had, again, uh, shout out to James Lopez, who hit me to all of this stuff. James had given me, when I moved back to New York, a copy of the story of us. Yo, my God. And Fonte plays, like, basically he plays the part of a, a, a you know, a, a rapper. Trying MC, to get a deal. Trying yeah. to get a deal by being basically everybody else in the game. So at one point, Fonte is all the guys in the Wu-Tang Clan, you know? Uh, you do the, uh, you know, sort of the lyrical miracle. Uh, yeah, the LA, underground. Yeah, the underground rap, yeah. MC. And then your Percy Miracles. And it was just like, the, you are the master of voices. And I knew that you would understand in a way that it was just like, you could just let go. And even even more like the more that you and Preem first of all you and Preem have a fantastic working relationship together and he trusts you implicitly and when Preem produces he has you on as his co-producer by just that's it yeah that there, was right? that was wild that was wild um i mean when y'all reached out to me uh about it um i was just coming off of a hbo pilot that i was working on and so i mean tv With Maya, you know right? The, yeah, the Maya thing, the uh, the thing with Maya and Bashir. Maya and so, Rudolph, not Maya Finance. Maya, Maya. DC <laughs> Harrison, Maya. yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was coming off of that, and so you were like, yeah, man, so I got this thing. I'm like, TV, I'm like, oh, God, I'm ready for, like, a million rewrites, a million edits, whatever. I'm like, all right, whatever. So you're like, yo, man, I got this thing, and I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but, you know, this is what it is. I'm like, look, dude, send it to me. Let's do it. And... um yeah, those records that those first records we did, the uh the um uh God, it was the um song, his song, uh uh God. 
expected. Least expected, yeah. God, we did though. Those are records that I cut in my house, and um, I mean, we pretty much. I wanted to make it so that it's kind of tricky because you're writing in 1990, you're writing for 1990, but you're writing for an audience that is current day. So it has to work on both levels. It has to be true to the times, but at the same time, it has to wow the audience of now so that they can understand why this guy would be the shit in 1990. You know what I mean? And the fact that it's fictional makes it a little bit harder as, as you know, as MC because, you know, it's fiction. So it's like, you know, the example I always give, the scene in uh, Notorious where Biggie is freestyling outside you know what i'm saying and they're kicking his actual that was his actual freestyle you know what i mean and that freestyle lyrically it ain't miraculous you know what i'm saying but it's accurate to what he was saying at that time the freestyle when he's uh dissing the dude in front outside. of outside yeah in notorious where he's dissing the dude I love that freestyle no i love it but i'm just saying it was dope because that was accurate to what he said then right okay. now in 2017 i mean Someone that's I heard see. Royce the right. Five Nine or Black Thought right. hearing that right. shit is like, okay, it was cool, you know what I mean? I but at it. the time, it was a hit. So, uh, so that's kind of the trick. So, can I ask you how important? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a showrunner's nightmare on social media. <laughs> like, I think, right. I think Nelson is just about talking to me again right now. Over to get down. <laughs> Well, you know, I for me the, the the reason why I'm so glad you said that about like you wanted to really portray the times as they were. How important is it to you at least from uh in doing this project are the music cues to you because like I'm that's the show. <laughs> it is the whole show. Okay, well now not not to I'm not trying to, you know, play abs you know devil's not not devil's advocate what do you call it i'm not, I'm not trying to uh instigate no no okay, i'm not trying right. to be an instigate um assuming you watched the other show how did you feel like did you instantly make notes like okay that's not accurate and that's not accurate and that cue's not accurate and i will be honest one of the problems with making tv especially making tv while you are, are teaching uh you know <laughs> uh, as a profession um is that you don't get to watch a lot of tv so i watched the first couple episodes um and i understood right away that to get down is a very different, different. animal yeah. it's magical realism um and that's not what we were trying to do we're we're doing you know Realism, right? And there's nothing wrong with magical realism. Like it's a it's it's interesting a, term. It sounds like alternative facts. <laughs> no, it's like what it's like what Tony Morrison does, right? Except for film, right? It's like it it's it is a beautiful romantic vision of what the Bronx was mm. um, and is in people's minds. And even the it, it's funny because you would uh, people from the Bronx from that time. That's how they remember it as beautiful, right? Even though it was a really, really, I mean, there were parts of the Bronx that felt and looked desolate, mm -hmm. but it didn't, wasn't desolate to culturally them, to yeah. them. So I'm not mad at the get down, but it's just a very different show and also about 
oh, five times the budget, maybe 10 times <laughs> oh, the budget man. of the breaks. Yes. You know, <laughs> so it's a very different kind of but it's, show. But it's like, okay, so after you develop something and then you put it in the hands of the production company, the producers, the, the, the director, like other people, and how much are you willing to let your child, metaphorically speaking, uh, play with others? Are you willing to turn your back for a little bit and do something else and trust that it's okay? Or is it just like, all right, let's cut corners. Like for me, I, I've sat in many a room with many a writer and I just really have this disdain for their attitudes of like music as such an afterthought. Like it's really not that important. You know, like, okay, well. I know we're in 1979 and we're going to play a song that came out in 84. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So the new edition Uh film, shout out to my brother, Barry Cole. I'm not coming at your neck, but he, he kind of corrected me on Twitter. I mean, there was a scene where Ricky and Bobby and Ron were on the tour bus. Uh, we're talking to each other, and Ricky takes his Walkman off, off his cassette Walkman off. But I clearly heard the 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 shack up drum break that was used <laughs> in the Belle DeVoe, uh, uh "Ain't Nothing Changed," uh-huh. which was you know I mean this is eighty five. They're in the nineteen eighty five Greyhound tour bus going back to the Boston Projects. Listening to a breakbeat that Ricky Bell himself will use seven years yeah. from now, but you know he kind of had that 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 correction like, no, that was talking all that jazz by Stetson Sonic, and I wanted to come back like, well, still that was still 1988. Time, That's, yeah. That was for, but I mean for me, how I know that people cut corners and okay, well we couldn't clear that song and. We just want to move time along, and usually music is used for moving time along. So it's like, how much of a, of a stickler are you for keeping that as accurate as possible? I'm a stickler because Seath believes in it. You know what I mean? Seath uh, really values the authenticity part of it. And we have this sort of language with each other where we talk about the authenticity bank account, right? And you know you're going to make withdrawals, right? We have... Like, I think it takes place in the summer of 1990, but maybe looking at the front door, I think, was something that we made a slight, mm-hmm. you know, exception for. It did come out in 1990, but it came out later in 1990. I think also Just to Get a Rep came out later on in 1990. Yeah. But it was, it was that's the kind of trade-off we're, we're willing to make. There are other trade-offs. There are other sort of withdrawals from the authenticity bank account that don't pay off. Like, I'm not going to allow... Uh, you know, a, a breakbeat from another time. I was gonna say, you know, the primo get away with one in this business of rap. <laughs> and, and nah, nah, nah. We kept it. Nah, we keep it with all of our. You know, with the scratches, we keep them so far. We keep it all. You know, stuff that Authentic. was. Oh yeah, stuff right. that was of that time or before that time actually. 
So um, we've, we've cool. actually been in the studio, right, with Preem, and there's been something that he wanted to do or whatever, and we're like, oh, no, nah, that's, that's too, right. That's too early or too and late. And even with lyrics, we've had a few Yeah, I think it was one lyric. Right? I said it was, it was one lyric in the, in the, uh, in the pilot where I said something like, oh, God, what was it? It was um, Puff Mad L's, I think was the line. Yes. And we was and like, that wasn't a bit nah, yet. in 1990, it wasn't Puffin' Mad L. So we changed what it to something it? else. Because uh, the original line was, uh, ah, what was it? Girlies on my job, Puff Mad L's till I see blue like Gargamel. So we changed it to Girlies on my job, hard as hell, make them do the Smurf like Gargamel. And so okay. that was what, Damn. that was. The- that was, uh. Even, but even the chorus. <laughs> that was official there, uh, Fonte. We were talking about the chorus, right? And, and, your chorus was uh, Joe, Joe Rock, Rock baby, Joe nonstop, Rock. baby, and, and I thought I that was too. Even, and that's something I again. thought it was, but I thought it was too much uh, uptown, uptown baby, baby, which is and way. I was totally not even thinking that. So I was I like, it. "We'll just do Joe Rock, y'all, nonstop, y'all," yeah. which is more. But then I think we we, we, I think with we kept yours. Joe Rock, baby. I think that we was funny, Joe Rock, baby. Joe what, Rock, baby. What is the quintessential hook in 1990? Well, the thing uh, is, there well, was you'll see, like Tribe had no hook on. Well, in 1990, what it was, was it wasn't really hooks. Your hook was the last two bars of your rhyme. So it would be the last two bars of your song. So what you saying? saying, And then it goes into the break or scratches or an instrument or horn or whatever the fuck. So that was kind of the way we play it. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I'm lucky that we we have actors like Antoine is just a motherfucker. Unbelievable. All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, 
iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can y'all break down how many different personality like raps did you have to write for different personalities from Antoine to whoever? Oh man, Tiana okay. And so I had so, a tough job this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah it job. was. It was great, but we made it through it though. Um, for this one, okay, so. Uh, for those that uh, watch the show, it's the story of, you know, it tells, like Dan was saying earlier, it tells these different stories of different people in the business uh, at that time. And so uh, the main guy that I write for is Um, played by Antoine Harris. Uh, big ups to him. He is like the street guy who is, you know, really talented. So he's a guy. And I don't know if this is something that we can maybe, if y'all are still freaking out, I think we're still, last conversation we had, I think we're still trying to see if he's going to be the guy or if he's going to be the guy who inspires the guy. You know what I mean? Like, that's still because like, he's a motherfucker. But like, is he going to be Jay-Z or is he going to be Jazzo? You know what I mean? Like, that's still <laughs> that still remains to be right, seen. Right, because he's like hella respected in the streets. Like, it's like you got to go through hella people to get to him and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's like the he's the man. And then in like season one, this, you know, as this season goes on, you'll see other stuff that solidifies like he's really like the fucking he's the guy you gotta write for him so it's him um he's the he's the main guy then there's uh oh man then there's uh imani x X, played by tiana taylor she's the girl who is like um she's like a like a latifah like she's kind of tomboyish meets isis (laughs) right right she is rebel soul (laughs) so she's that chick and the kind of the conflict that we'll see later on uh, is her mother, played by Kim Wayans, yes! a hilarious fucking Kim Wayans, um, plays by Kim Wayans. Her mother kind of wants her to be more of like a kind of salt and pepper, you know, uh, female MC. So that's, you know, her thing. So I had to write for her. And so the not really the conflict that we had, but just the thing that we hit towards the end of this, of this season was that I didn't want Imani to sound like a female version of um. So you have to I had to you have to approach it in a way as like, all right, I want her to be dope, but she can't just be just the female the male, female version of this guy. She has to have something about her that How do you channel up. all these I mean you're like the hip hop version of split. <laughs> oh man. Wow. How do you how do you channel all of these in an authentic way at that? Yeah. I mean And on the spot. Do you find that working? Okay, now finally someone I can relate to. Like <laughs> on working on television, when you have to instantly come up with something, I you mean, don't overthink it. Yeah, like how Never. do you deal with that, man? You just gotta, you just gotta just write it. I mean, what is your process? You just sit alone. And- uh, yeah, I, I generally always work alone. I never really work with anyone. I, you know, record myself and like engineer myself, and uh, I pretty much just. Uh, in the time of uh like for um for his main song um the idea was without giving away too many plot points well in the within the pilot you know his friend has been killed mm-hmm. so the idea was okay we got i got to take him through the stages of death the stages of of grief so the first song that he does is, you know, it's just straight anger. It's just like, we going to get them niggas. Y'all killed my homie. We about to set it. It's just anger. And then later on in this season, you'll see he has some other stuff 
that takes him through the other stages of grief. So it's just putting yourself in that character and what they would feel. That first demo of the first season feels more like denial. They're not exactly. It's total and denial. Acceptance and then at the acceptance end. comes. Mm-hmm. So it's just I try to put myself in each character's shoes and see how they would feel. And just, you know, write it from that perspective. But what's interesting is, and just by talking to you, like, those are the two dope people, right? So is it easier to write for the uh, dope lyricists no. or the you know mediocre? Because now okay. you got to write for, like, mediocre well, okay. and so on purpose. I feel Let's like talk that's about this. fun. I feel like it's fun to write for whack people. It's, it, well, okay, here Fonte we go. loves it. I have, but I Did run into stop? a problem. No, I just drove by. Kept on. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I have, I have problems, so we have battle scenes as well, right? So we have battles that you have to write, and so uh, you're battling the, yourself basically. Yeah, it's a mirror match. It's like a fucking mirror match in fucking uh, in in Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. So for me, the problem I was running into was that I like to be the villain. So like my villain versus was murder, mm-hmm. and the guy that was actually supposed to win the battle. On camera, them verses was like cool. Like my first draft would be like, it's cool, but you need a little more. So I had to, and that was the only network note you got on the pilot. Right? Yeah, that yeah. was like she was well, like she was like I really th- it feels like uh, see got one. Yeah, yeah, she was another right. guy won. And so I went on Empire. It's good you corrected that. Yeah, I went back and like I did another draft they and didn't. they okayed it. And so the thing was in that first battle with. Uh, in the pilot with Sig and uh, um, Sig played by uh, Sig Sauer played by Torrey. Shout out to him. Amazing. Um, the idea was that, okay, Torrey is going to, the, the main guy, Um, is going to win the, the war, so to speak. But Torrey is still going to kind of win the battle. And to me, that felt authentic because I remember coming up battling you would see all those guys who would win all the battles. They would just be freestyling and could just go on and talk about your mom and make up shit, whatever. But they couldn't make records to save their fucking lives. Like, they fucking yeah. sucked. So, write a hook. Write a hook. I, I, have, I have a story. Uh, the first week that we mixed Do You Want More at Battery mm-hmm. Studios, we were next in the B room with Supernatural. Uh. Now, if you remember... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you? Good? I just I just coughed. Super- <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, okay, boys and girls, uh, and he was on East West. Yes, he. So yep. when um in 1993 at the New Music Seminar, uh, I remember it was all about skills, and it was all about supernatural. Uh, that particular year, and Supernat signed to East West, and so he was in the B room of Battery Studios, and we were in the A room of Battery Studios, uh, mixing our stuff. And we occasionally—that's kind of how we met Razel. Razel was oh, kind of wow. in Supernat's like crew, and Supernatural totally, one hundred percent, were just freestyle everything. Mm-hmm. His shows, his. His album, <laughs> and all I remember was I went in his room. Me and Tariq sat in his room, and he had the single "If I Was King." Mm-hmm. If I was king, I rule everything. If I was king, and then he did a verse. Right? He said, "All right, all right, all right let me take it from the top again." If I was king, if I, and then he did a totally different verse. He said, "Ah, no, 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 let me do it again." And, and he went through like nine drafts of like. 100% free 
totally different than the others. And I was like, the whole record's going to be made that way. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, man, freestyle record. And no, yeah, nah. <laughs> nah, it was just one of those things that like it works good live, and even still live sometimes it can Does be it? a novelty. That's what I was getting to. Like it's something. You know, you can only pull the rabbit out the hat so many times. You know what I mean? It's Shout out like, to the Freestyle Union. <laughs> yeah, I used to freestyle. I mean, that was what I did. But after a while, it, yeah, it kind of it's like a parlor trick. Otherwise, like, look, write a fucking song, dude. So um, <laughs> we need to talk about the the best part of that battle. For me. <laughs> right, right. Which is the character, the impromptu character we created with Fonte's blessing, uh, named Imam Ali. Yes, talk about it because we really. We really wanted to, to, I mean, it's an Afrocentric period. Um, and, you know, not to make light of it, but there was always that dude who came to a battle to teach. To educate. You know? Yes. So, uh, so I knew you were going to make, I I knew you were going to make a scene up based on that, that damn verse. Shout out to Caitlin. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yo, yo, wow, wow. Go ahead. Yeah, so. This was um one of the one of the times I remember we was up I was up there and um so we had to write, do this battle. So there's a battle in season in uh in episode 1 the pilot where Um is uh battling this guy Six Hour. And so this is essentially the battle where Um wins the battle and this is where DV the producer sees the battle and realizes yo Um is the dude I got to fuck with. This is the guy. And so I had to write that battle between Torre and uh and Antoine. And so it, it, that came out. So before that, um, there's all these other battles that take place before their battle, which is like the main event. So I come up there and I'm in New York and Dan hits me. He's like, yo, man, um, you know, these other people we got doing battles, it ain't really working. Would you be willing to step in? And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I can write some shit for whatever. I'll, I'll write somebody some shit. It's cool. He's like, no, 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 no. You, I need you to write it, yeah, but I need you to step in. And I'm like, fuck you, me, step in. He's like, like, step in, like, be on camera. I'm like, oh, shit. I said, okay. So he's like, well, I got an idea for this character. His name is Imam Ali. I was like, say no more. I just knew what that meant. Sort of like Dr. York meets... <laughs> Oh, your favorite guy. Uh, you know, <laughs> my man. <laughs> Dr. York no, it's just meets. Dr. York meets. It meets, you know. yeah, whatever you add with that. Yo, I told Fonte, he did it so well. I saw, I saw the pilot the pilot episode, and I was like, I think I thought you were Kumo D or something. Because I really did not know that was you. Nah, that was me. And the Kufi and the Dashiki. The Kufi, the Dashiki, and the, and the Shades. So the good news is that Imam Ali comes back. Yeah. He comes back in the season. <laughs> I really, really wanted a whole subplot around Imam Ali. I didn't get it, but uh, I'm still angling for it if there's a season two. Yeah. That means you can't share it because you don't want to. That's right. Yeah, we we shot that and... um, yeah, I hope a spinoff. The Imam Ali spinoff. Yo, I just told him like I just want Imam Ali. He gotta have a white woman because that's what all like the whole tech dudes. You gotta. I thought hey, that was really you. you. Yeah, I thought it was you. <laughs> now you gotta have a white woman. You gotta be authentic. Hotep. Come on, like there's no one that wants to fight for black people more than a nigga with a white woman. So like it's gotta <laughs> it's gotta work. So yeah, man, we shot that and um it was funny. Like that was like my culture shock. So the scene was supposed to be. Imam Ali is the guy He's like the old guy That is You know He's out of touch And he Can rap But He's he trying to teach Mel. He would be he Doing push ups At- I mean, <laughs> he, He's doing push ups With the perfect form But he's trying to Educate and shit So In the scene When Sounds we like shot me. it 
it was supposed to be that Imam Ali lost the battle and he's like the laughing stock. But when we shot the scene and we had real extras and we told them like real 20, 21 years old of today, we told them like, look, react. If some shit is whack, say it's whack. If y'all hear a hotline, like this is live. And so when I did the verse, they actually were cheering for me and shit. Like they liked it. You know what I mean? Well, the thing was, the the guy who was uh, facing him was a real MC, but he he was very nervous because it was his first time on TV, so he kept forgetting his lines. So now Fonte's, oh, it, you know, improvising in character, like, well, come to the youth center. We have memory pills. <laughs> <laughs> we got Ginkgo Balboa. You know what I'm like, we got, I was just I was just saying all kind of shit. And so, and the thing was, my verse, I had to write it the night before. And that's something, you know, is, is extremely hard to do, like to write something and then have to memorize it. So I'm an extra in the scene. And in between takes, I'm going out and listening to my phone, like playing the verse over and over and over again. And so finally we shoot it. And, you know, the the kids reacted to my shit. They was like, yo, this, they was laughing and like they was hooting and hollering. And so afterwards, me and Dan was talking. And I was like, man, what the fuck was that? That wasn't supposed to happen. And he was like, well, you know what, dude, that audience like that, that youth like now they didn't get x-clan they didn't get poor righteous teachers they didn't get you know just that super pro black time in rap where we just thought we was like gonna be blackity black they didn't get it so to them it was cool to see so to them it wasn't a joke because they didn't even get the reference to stuff that we were referencing at that time. And so is it, the it cipher in the pilot? This is in the pilot. This is in the pilot. So my so how my do... wish is that people can hear the whole verse. <laughs> unbelievable. And listen, Jay Smooth was an extra in uh, one of our scenes. I remember you, your demo came in when Jay Smooth was in it. And oh, Jay wow. Smooth and I had such fun listening to that demo. <laughs> yeah, I cut the demo that day. Because again, you hit me that night. It's like 11, 12 o'clock. And I, was, I just left Blue Note. Uh, with Glasper and it's like 12 o'clock I'm getting back in the, in the joint and he's like so I need you to do this scene and by the way we're taping tomorrow you know like afternoon so be ready I'm like alright so I literally cut the demo in my hotel room with my little bowl speaker my iPad and my iPhone and I just wrapped into that and that was how we did it and so yeah that was it so that was a character I had to write for it was Am uh, well she girl Am Imani Imam Ali uh there is a without giving away too much there is a audition an audition sequence scene yes coming up uh so it's like three or four acts i had to write for them uh you did a great job on that one. Oh, thank you man i mean well here's the thing it is it's not just lyrics because again this gets back to my horrible a and r career uh, <laughs> you know we had to decide because there's the banger at the end of the season, right? And and what is the beat that we're going to use? But there's a problem, and the problem is there's a there's a plot line that involves a using a particular Bob James sample, and or rather using a sample a record by Bob James, right? And which record was it going to be? And I felt really boxed in. I felt like, oh my god, I you know none of these things is going to make something that hasn't already been done. And um, I'm panicking. Because we couldn't use knowledge. I was like, we can't use knowledge. No, no. And Why it was not? so crazy. Well, it was 1990. It was 1990, but the thing was with Preem, like, I mean, it's fucking Preem. So we're talking samples. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember I chopped that for yeah, Poupon back yeah. in 92. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, shit, you did do that. You know what I mean? So a lot of that stuff. So I'm not going to mention the Bob James song. Mm. 
you suggest it, Taxi. and I think that's what I was just thinking. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh. I'll tell you after it's over, but nah, it's not it. And I thought, I was like, oh, that is never going to work. It is never going to work. And I'm busy like, okay, you know what? Maybe it doesn't have to be Bob James. Maybe we'll do a Cool in the Gang song. Here's 10 Cool in the Gang songs you could sample. I'm, you know, panicking. And Funk is back. I mean, Cool is back. We had that yeah, one. That yeah, was yeah, one like, of them. We possibly were like four different artists that we could use to make this plot line work. And Preem takes Fonte's suggestion and makes this... It's just unbelievable. Beat the coolest like, back? No, 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 no. Uh-uh. A Bob James record Mm-mm. that that you have heard in another classic, golden era hip hop hit that yeah. I never thought could have been flipped in the way it was flipped. And it's you know I'm gonna guess it, right? <laughs> I want you to guess it. I know it. I'll confirm it. <laughs> All right, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm about to say you probably guess it, but Steve, so, so no, Steve is. I don't think you will guess it. Oh, it is. Holy shit. He's a Tappan Z. Oh, Tappan Z yeah. Records? Yeah. Yes, he's yeah. a Tappan Z ma- what? maestro. Oh, you're saying that's, yeah, 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 that's yeah, in the yeah, name yeah, of the song? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, uh, I'm just saying that. <laughs> no, I'm saying I may have missed it. I didn't give it away. I didn't yep. give it away. <laughs> that, that Westchester lady? No. Nah, nah, nah. No, ain't that. Wait a minute. Hang on, hang on. I hang mean, on. Take Me to the Mardi Gras was the... That's, that's Captain nah, Obvious. Nah, it's not that yet. Well, here's the thing, though. See, flipping... Was really not a thing at, in, in 1990. 1990. Yeah. So, all right, just for I, I get one clue. I get one clue. The age act that used this particular Bob James record didn't exist yet, so it had not been used. So it wasn't really a flip. It's a flip to us. Yeah. In 2017, but uh, the producer DV thought it up all himself in 1990. In 1990. It's not Westchester Lady. Mm-hmm. Nah. Well, we, it's we, not the Onyx sample? Nah. Nah, it's not that one. Is flip like a technical thing? Well, just to flip, flip just means to like take to take a sample that's already been used and use it in a to different manipulate. way. In other words, yeah. if, okay. you, if you have a Rubik's Cube in which all the sides are completely done, mm-hmm. that's 1990. Cats just started mixing it all up and, you know, all the colors up and messing it up like by, by like 94, 90, 95. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, you know, Player's Anthem yeah. by Junior Mafia, yes, right? Yes. So Preem and J-Roo, to, to sort of poke fun at it, they take the same sample, which is a new birth sample, and they flip it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but no, nah, that was, I mean, it's been an incredible, like, just to be able to, you know, do that shit. Like, so it, it, I like, it, it, it puts me in a zone where I like to be, like, kind of behind the scenes and, like, live my life through different people. And, you know, it's... That's just fun to watch. Like hearing other people interpret your words, that shit is amazing to me. It's just a lot of fun. The first episode of season one has aired. Um, what can you tell us about where these characters are going without giving stuff away? Well, you know, they're on a collision course with destiny. <laughs> I think I just, uh, you know, I, I th- they're dealing with what we were dealing with in 1990. They're dealing with major labels coming in and sniffing money and sniffing around and offering a lot of personal opportunity to folks. Do you take that or do you not take that? And what it, what do you, you know, what are the risks yeah, what of cost? taking that big cushy major label job? And what do you sacrifice in the process? Um, you know, 
Uh, what does DV do to, you know, how much does he want to work with them and how much danger is he willing to, to put himself in? Um, you know, uh, for David, who works at the, you know, the quote unquote urban radio station, you know, how right. he, he wants hip hop to be on the air so much. But is he is he willing to understand that, you know, it's a business, not just, uh, uh, you know, to give people hey, moral you lessons on, you know, <laughs> that hip hop should be, you know, that they're. He may have to, you know, uh, take a little advice from his father uh, to do some of the things he wants to do. Um, yeah. Wood know. Harris's character, um, I yes. wanted to ask you about him because I feel like some of these characters are like an amalgamation of a few people. Some of them may be just one person that you knew, but Wood Harris's character, a few people, one person. Few people. <laughs> um, you know, I think there are definitely shades of Russell there. Um, Wood, when he plays him, he channels a lot of Dame. You know, mm. yeah. there's a manic energy there that even Russell can't. You know, it's not. It's more Dame or Puff than it is Russell. But he's also he's the great thing about watching this season. One of the best things, anyway, was watching these characters make. Like, Barry Foray is his own thing now. He's not Russell. He's not Dame. He's Barry Foray. And you can see him there in 1990, and it makes sense. And it, it, it's the character has some integrity. It's I dope. love the way into it for the lead character, the female. I'm sorry, I forget her name. But Afton, Afton, Afton Williamson, Williamson is the actress. Her playing character, Jimmy Afton, Jones. Yeah, she is. You are introducing the, the concept of the intern and really that time. Because you know that time is over now. So it's interesting in telling the story of a music intern and what they had to go to. A female music intern in that world and I almost wonder with two males in the situation who like is there another female to kind of come in and be like this is a whole different aspect that you don't make me know or did you just already be like there, the, Nikki will have uh, a few mentors to choose from I'd say <laughs> over the course of the season and Mac I mean mm-hmm. yeah, for, we didn't even talk about wise. the DJ battle Mac enrolled himself in Scratch Academy to learn how to DJ so he could participate. Black La La Land. In, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. What's that? Black La La Land. He's this, this, with, uh, oh. What's his name? Uh, um, Mel the lead. lead. Uh, your boy. Oh, Ryan uh, Gosling. Gosling. Ryan Gosling uh, took up six months of piano lessons to play all the actual. Oh, He's wow. actually playing all that jazz stuff. And it, the fingering's correct and the chords are correct wow that's him actually playing well, oh wow well talk about mac in that way and also his like history with music because he's like a different kind of actor in the sense of playing a role like this his relationship with hip-hop and his commitment it's different i feel like yeah well he grew up in staten island his father cut all the dudes from the wu-tang clan's hair you know he he's known method man since he was a kid who plays his dad right who yeah. plays his dad amazing. fun fact yes. but, i actually read for that role <laughs> somewhere hopefully on a hard drive fucking buried way somewhere I'll dig that up I read, the, uh, I read yeah, the audition I audition I audition for, for his role for uh, for, and I didn't think it would work I was like I'm gonna just do this shit anyway I don't think I'm I can maybe play his uncle but Listen, I can't play his dad that dream had to die so Imam Ali live yes, yes. yes. yeah yeah there was also a character we had uh, it was a scene we cut uh, the Fred Jamal the record store Yes. Uh, guy, yes, um, and that was one of the things that like really I like because we kind of get to show, you know, we're playing with history, and you sometimes you get to show how wrong people got it. And so there was one scene where the guy David he goes to the record store and he asks the guy in the record store, "Hey, 
give me I want to take some pictures of the customers who are in here buying hip hop, you know what I mean? And so he then takes those pictures and goes to his uh you know, goes to his boss and is like, "Yo, these people are like hip hop." But the thing is the guy at the store is saying, "Hey, I don't want them to play hip hop on the radio because if they play it on the radio, they're not going to buy it." Not it's even, not authentic. Yeah, not yeah. even getting that like, no, motherfucker, that's is what will bring people right, to you. Right. But he was just, you know, he got it so fucking wrong. You know what I mean? And there's little things that you'll see in the season where, you know, people will make statements and it's just like, oh my God. Like, Yo, you know you know once told us that? Petey Crap. Say what? Are you serious? When he was doing his long time verse, he was like, Yo, man, I don't wanna come out with a record because like once you make a record you're whack. I don't. Think I was he like, did. so you want to just do mixtapes all your life? It's like, yeah, there's a mystery to it. Like, people are still waiting for me, but like, once the album comes out, wow, then you know, wow. And I don't think he never did. He never. He could, he could be an Aquarian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, we have little moments like that that are really uh. You know, you're watching it with the knowledge of what happens to these people or, or people who held those thoughts. And that's been fun for me, like kind of seeing how that plays out. Um, oh, if you're just tuning in. Wait, oh, hang go ahead. on. Before you, um, I, I've looking for the to. Okay. Is it this? Nope. Damn. Nope. That was Bob James? Wow. I nope. didn't guess it. <laughs> Bitch, you didn't. Guess it's, it. it's right up under your nose. Like well, you, I gotta watch it again on television. No, no, no. You ain't gotta. No, this is this doesn't happen till later. Oh, so it ain't it ain't aired yet. It hasn't aired yet. It's the final episode. Yeah, it's coming. So, uh, is, but you close though. Is this something? So you saying when I hear this joint, I'm gonna want to kick my television off the plasma? And just, like <laughs> yes, because it, it's something that's so obvious and it's something that has been and it's not nautilus no not it's not nautilus. that we that, that was one of the ones that we were looking at but he premium already used no it part for, of nautilus. Uh, no it's not nautilus because premium used it for I my mind spray i already did that for j rue yeah 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 i did my mind oh, spray, my mind spray and the and uh the group home <laughs> wait talk like primo yeah, yeah 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 that's what that. it sounds like yeah. yeah i did that one you know what i'm saying we did that one and then and i chose j rue <laughs> real fast album, you know what i'm saying and then we, and we did my mind spray. You know, so we, we, we did that one. I was like, okay, primo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but nah, it ain't that one. It ain't that. But you, I mean, it, you it's right up on your nose. Like you, I mean, you hear the, it and be like, what the fuck? The only last one that he used was. Did he use it before? No, no. Prem never used it before. Prem never used it. Which is why it sounds fresh. <laughs> yeah, oh it. man, did Red Man use it before? Nope. I, Cause I know what you think, nah. Nah, not that one. Just tuning in. This is Quest Love Supreme. We got him playing. Bitch, you guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, like, God. Is it? I got a question. Can I ask a question? Of course. It's your show, D- D- Bill. First of all, Dan is also a teacher. And we didn't. We haven't got to that part. Yeah, yet. we teach at the same school. I know, which is amazing. I forgot it's that. Fantastic. But you walked in. And you said you said Marley Marl was at was at my class. 
And I feel like that was a big thing that we then went into this whole crazy batshit show and didn't get to address. <laughs> Did he bring the real? Did he bring the real? Because he was on this show and he was it was amazing. And I'm sure you have a story too. Uh, well, I mean, he's just first of all to even come to a small class and to and to talk about his his career. You know, we were really just talking. I'm teaching a class on the golden age of hip-hop and we're sort of pinning it between the years 87 and 93 for a few reasons and you know he came to talk about the bridge he came to talk about that jump to sample drums right um that uh and i never knew and this is a whole sort of nerd thing but i never knew i always thought that the bridge was made on an sb 1200 no he yeah. talked about Y'all the guitar yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know all about dude yeah. when he told us that we just that and when he told us that the sh- shakers oh my god oh yeah the shakers that make the music is him that's him doing sh- get out he's literally making yes. the music that was pretty mouth. much the whole four hours it was like no you didn't he's like yes it did that was pretty much it. <laughs> i mean next to whitney and tj swan Whit- oh my god <laughs> So apparently there Whitney was story? there was close to being a Whitney and TJ Swan duet. There is no point. Look at damn face. He's stuck. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whitney. Exactly. And, Make the music with your mouth, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Whitney and Thomas Jerome Swan together. Yeah, bro. That Marley had crazy stories. So like, did the kids like? So when you have someone like Marley come in, are they aware of who they're looking at and like? You know what that means? Surprisingly, this class really was. Um, So, you know, because they're young. I'm not saying it's surprising because they're really good students, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, they were born after Tupac died, you know? So what do they know? And and post-Pac. I know, there's an AP. Born after (laughs) Big Pun died. A BP and an AP. (laughs) Right, right. Wow. Yeah, but I I love teaching. So. One of your students was uh, Maggie Rogers. That's right. That was uh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. And she's dope. I can't claim her either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she's my student too. But oh, her? she's more. Yeah, yeah. Who's Maggie? She was Rogers? my she's first pop, student, my pop, very pop. first class that I ever taught. Who is she? Maggie Rogers is. Uh, she's a young uh, singer songwriter. Uh, Pharrell did a video. This has been With Bob Power. last year. Bob Power, where they just you know they play records. You know, you could play your records for Pharrell. You know what I mean? He came in and and kind of gave him notes. And so Maggie played her joint, and that was the joint where he was just like, "Yo, I have no notes for this. This shit is crazy." And she ended up getting the deal. She's she with RCA now, right? Yeah, Capital. She, I will back up my student uh, in a couple of weeks on the Tonight Show. She's ah, so she's gonna make her debut. That's dope. <gasps> yeah, that's that fucking dope. So great. Yeah, but she's uh, she's dope. She's really she has her. It's completely singular. She sounds like nothing else. She's How dope. many semesters do you do at uh, the the school? Um, fall and spring. You do too. Yeah. Ah, uh, can only do. This is the first year that I opted not to do it. I know. I wanted you to teach the Dilla Dilla course. class. Well, no, no, no. I'm I'm gonna still come in. That's good. But you know what? When they first, when when. When they approached me about doing it, the idea of doing it, because they wanted it like last year's whatever, I felt weird about it because there would have there was no no curriculum and no periodicals or 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 books that I could use to teach, and I don't even know if I'm 
eloquent enough to really convey how special he was as a human being and as a musician, especially in the age of now, which you can easily, with the click of a button, get results where all your stuff is quantized. And if you want to, you know, chop up your stuff in a certain way and, you know, I'm trying to explain to these people, like he was making this, these miracles with his bare hands and brain, like before this technology existed, like the only way to describe it, uh, Hendrix's uh, second album, Axis Bold is Love. You know, we take for advantage, we take it for granted. Little Miss Lover? No, well, no, 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 just the whole album in general, like. Hendrix damn near invented the Hendrix and Eddie Kramer invented the technology that we take for granted now. The idea of phasing and and certain echo effects and chambers. The studio as instrument. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so how what is your goal in teaching about Dilla that will make it as mind blowing for them? as it was for me to see that stuff firsthand as he's doing it. Yeah, you have a theory, like, what I've, you've told to me before, like, the three inventors yeah, of modern... Yeah, I, I, I call them the, the, yeah. the three kings of American rhythm. There's Louis Armstrong, who basically established swing, you know, as sort of the American approach to, to meter and rhythm. Mm-hmm. James Brown, who turned every instrument the into one. a drum. Yeah. And, uh, and the one, obviously. And then Dilla, who freed us from the grid. You know, he established a... <laughs> I had to. I had to. <laughs> it's only right. Um, you know, he, he sort of renegotiated the relationship between man and machine to me. Now, it's, it's different because if you look at... I know you got Soul, right? You have these two breakbeat records that really made hip-hop funky in a way that a, a, a quantized drum machine couldn't. But there was something about what... Dilla was doing that for the first time traditional musicians are trying to do what he did. And I I feel very funny laying this out here because the very first traditional musician to, you know, to try or to to succeed in doing that was you. Oh, wait, wait. (laughs) Wait, I'm so, wait, wait. Who is it? Like, I got to know who it is. I forgot. Uh, I mean,. Yeah, it it's 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 weird, man. It's just like during that period, I was the exact opposite because I had such a chip on my shoulder. You wanted to sound like a drum machine. Yeah, I wanted to be perfect, and and it took D and Dilla for the most part to unravel that 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 yarn that I had wrapped myself in of perfection and coldness that um. It's just hard to describe. Like even today, I, th- I think uh, the 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 cats from the Lumineers were on the show today, and we were just in our zone. We did like three or four Dilla joints in a row, and you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of downtime in the show like that you don't see. Uh, I'm speaking of the the, the Tonight Show. Um, there's a lot of downtime in which uh, sets have to be changed or whatever, and so we're just jamming amongst ourselves and. We just got lost in a rabbit hole of crazy timing. And, you know, I was trying to explain. To them, it was like some new shit. Look, yo, the, the way you guys did that crazy thing with the beat, uh, I don't know how to describe it. But, uh, <laughs> that crazy you, thing. And it was weird. Like, I couldn't describe it to them 
either. So it's like that that's the fear that I I feel like I will drop history or or drop you know misrepresent his his importance but you know I'm glad that you you know that you're you're stepping up to well, I don't claim to be a, a Dilla expert by any stretch. I mean, uh, my, it's in my personal history is weird in this sense because my very first trip to Detroit was to work with him, Chino and I, Chino XL and I flew to Detroit. Don't say a word. Don't say a word. Yeah, yep. and the I other one, the one with Saphir. Yeah. Um. Uh. And how it goes, I think, is the name of that song. So. Uh, we flew to Detroit. We stayed, you know, downtown. We drove out to Covent Gardens. We, yeah, Athenaeum, right? And we, we, we went to his house on Nevada and met Ma Dukes and went downstairs. And Common was recording like Water for Chocolate with him around yeah. that time. Yeah. We went to the Mongolian barbecue in Dearborn across <laughs> from Studio A, like the whole thing. And what was really weird is that Dilla laid the tracks and then vanished. Oh, wow. And that was it basically you know um and i understand that sometimes that was the way he worked or whatever and that i would never have imagined that moment that i would have sort of another part of my life in detroit many years later my wife is from detroit mm. i'm back there all the time and every time i'm there i think of that first time and that's where the genesis of the class came from um so does she say what up though she does not she does not. She's from the west side she's of Detroit. A, she's a poet and a tenured professor at the New School, so she does not ah, say so that. She's a New School. She's yeah. a New School. Right. Um, but I want to. Here's the theory. Here's the theory about Dilla Time. I wanted to run it by you. Um, and I'm thinking of sort of staking a, a claim that because everybody's talking about what is what is Dilla Time. Oh well, it's just he doesn't quantize the beats. That's good. That's not exactly it. And oh, it's septuplet swing. But yeah, but that doesn't account for the for the rushed snare. So my feeling is that Dilla Time, what Dilla Time really is, what, what all of the traditional and electronic musicians are trying to do is it's the deliberate cultivation uh, of tension between straight and swung elements in a song. And that tension is dynamic. It changes over time. Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the Thelonious Monk theory. Remember his idea of subnotes? Yes. But there's the rhythm version of it. And it's weird because between Dilla, there's Prince and the RZA, right. both both yeah. of whom both of whom I consider the RZA more the accidental tourist. Where you take a song like uh, Verbal Intercourse, huh? Verbal Intercourse, yeah. Verbal Intercourse yeah. is a perfect example of that. Where it's just like mm, sounds funky, leave it like it is. And Prince, well, Susan Rogers recently um, admitted because if you listen to to, to Prince's stuff. Um, you'll notice that he'll program almost uh, kind of like in 64 bars. You're really supposed to do four, maybe eight, maybe 16 if you're clever, but 64 bars. That means you're playing ahead of time with drum fills that only will come around maybe once in your song. In the song, right. Right. And that's how meticulous he was. But he would also save tracks in which he would do stuff by hand just so it can sound human. Well, you were the person who described the Touré in his book, the the straight clap from the drum machine in Lady Cab Driver, but he's playing he's the playing snare by the snare. hand, right? Yeah. Then he does this other thing rhythmically with the bass, right? Mm -hmm. If you listen to like Irresistible Bitch or Tricky, right. he will give you almost a shell 
of what the bass line is. He'll play like two notes out of eight, yeah. right? But the All two these notes, notes infer the eight. Right. So you hear the eight, but you don't hear the eight. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, we're brothers. <laughs> That's why I was surprised y'all had never met each other before. I was like, you have we met before? Oh, we yeah. have met. We have met. I did the Bigger you know Boy show. Wait, were you there at the time? Uh, I or? may have been there, but here's where we met. Where did we meet? We met when I worked for Forrest. I came to Sigma Sound to meet with Richard. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. okay. Uh, who, rest in peace, man. I never had a chance to tell you in person. I was so sad to hear his you, passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, the next time I saw you was out was in the Musicology Tour in the Meadowlands. Um, Rosario? It was... It was it, you. You were just walking and getting a drink from the water fountain in the middle. You know, in the middle of this Prince concert. From I remember that show. Okay. And I just walked up to you. I didn't even introduce myself. I just said, "You're my favorite drummer." That's really? all I said. That's all I said. Thank and you, then man. I think the next time I saw you was when I did the uh, Experience Music Project thing on Breakbeats, and you were. That's when you played the Rod Temperton, uh, um, demo. For rock with you, for rock with yeah. you. Yeah. Oh wow. Guess what? I just, wait. Did I tell you already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting on. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah, we'll it's coming. talk. Okay, we'll talk after. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, but it's a pleasure to be here now. Better late than never. Thank you. I want to talk about Mies and Plas, man. Um, yeah. I want to talk about you know. So this book it was after you wrote the big payback. Yeah. Uh, this is a book about how chefs can teach you how to organize your life. That's right. Um, Tell us about, like, the principles of that. Like, what are the... And, by the way, I actually bought this book. I have to read it. Work Clean is the name. Um, So tell us about that, like, just the philosophy of mise en place and what that means. Uh, Well, after I wrote The Big Payback, you know, I... It's a 660-page book, and I, I just was drained, you know. And I had a, a, a wife and a baby, and a, um, you know, I didn't, I couldn't imagine myself writing another book. And um, you know, we were developing the break, so you know, I had other yeah. things to do. And just um, how long did it take you to write the big payback? Just the four, years, four years, really, really heavy. But my first interview I did for the big payback was ten years before okay. the book came out. So. Um, you know, Work Clean came out of the pain of the interim, you know, uh, after the big payback came out and I was still working at a uh, corporate media company, which shall, <laughs> shall be unmentioned. Um, <laughs> and it was just painful to see. That you working there with Boss Bill, with uh, Brainchild. That's right. That's Boss, right. Boss where, where This is a very funny story. When, when Bill came in to interview for the job, and I found out that he was actually DJ Brainchild. I got down on my knees, literally got down on my knees and bowed to him. And Jerry Barrow said to me, you know, that's really not going to help with the salary negotiation. <laughs> I bet he loved it, though. Yeah. Well, he, he's a genius. Uh, and I'm sorry he's not here right now. But uh, so the pain of seeing waste on such a broad scale, you know, waste of time, waste of resources, waste of space, uh, waste of relationships. And at the time, I was just to sort of unwind or whatever, I would read chef narratives all the time. So I read Anthony Bourdain and Michael Ruhlman and, um, oh, uh, 
uh, uh, the book Heat by Bill Buford, like just amazing books about the culinary world, not cookbooks, but about chefs' lives in the kitchen. And these are, you know, wild people and wild narratives, but the one thing that ties them all together is this discipline that they call mise en place, right? It's a way of relating to time, space, energy, and motion. And it was the only thing that I really wanted to write about and the reason I wanted to write about it is because I looked for a book on mise en place and nobody had ever written one. So I just used the tools of the journalist again and I interviewed over 100 people from the culinary field over the course of two years. I did an NPR story based on that. Um, sort of boiled it down to 10 principles, right? Um, but they're all about relating to time, space, motion, resources, uh, and just like the way that chefs think about things are not is not the way that we think. And for each of the 10 principles, I, you know, tell a story of a chef. And one of those chefs happened to be Jerobi White of A Tribe Called Quest, whom I had never met, even though I had interviewed, I did the very first press day for Tribe Called Quest, like when they came out in oh, 1990. Wow. But I never met Jerobi all this time. We've probably been in a million rooms together and never met. And I'm so lucky to, to count him as a friend now, but I get to tell his story in that book, Work Clean. It's a, a great story. And his, his story is about um, perfecting movements, right? How he learned to stop wasting motion um, and to be really focused in a kitchen. And Jerobi actually came up with the science of the magic triangle, right? Man. That everything we do is basically a triangle, you know, and we're a circle within a triangle. And that's how we should arrange our space. Have, you seen, space. Uh, have you seen The Founder? The Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas. Michael Keaton movie oh, about McDonald's, McDonald's about, seen about it. Ray Kroc. I see it. You saw it? I seen it and almost broke my my uh, my vegan run because <laughs> I wanted a cheeseburger right after I seen Man. it. <laughs> they talk about oh, it's it's really good. It's like it's yeah. cold blooded as fuck, but it's good. But they kind of the McDonald brothers, they kind of were doing that, like the way they set up their original, you know, McDonald's restaurant. It was based on you know economy of movement, like everything. It's funny to hear it's like choreographed perfectly. It was yeah, it was really like a routine, like the like they practiced in a school on a yard. tennis court on the tennis court. Yeah, 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 they practiced before they even got McDonald's. Like okay, you do that motion, that motion, like not even carrying anything. They were just practicing yeah. the body motion of how to get you. Once the burgers is off, they go here, and then we switch, and then, like, this shit is crazy. Y'all have, like, a Quest Love Supreme movie night where y'all just go to the movies together? We don't. I mean, we need we to. Just, uh, you know, I mean. A book list. <laughs> a movie night. What? Nah, we won't we'll get the, the shit. We barely watch. Uh, we did watch, uh, what you call it as a family, kind of. Um, uh, not Sleepwalk With Me. Berbiglia's joint. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't uh, Think Twice. Don't we Think did Twice. We did watch that. We did watch the, that The one. musical less. Uh, La La Land. La La. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Exactly. Um, there's one that you, one of their principles that really spoke to me. You talk about clean as you go. Mm. Very important. Mm. Talk about that one. Um, well, the 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 science behind clean as you go is that anybody can create a system. Like you decide you're going to organize your desk, right? And you spend two hours or three hours or a whole day organizing your space, and it's great, right? And it doesn't mean shit because unless you maintain a system, you can't keep a system. 
And the only way to maintain a system is to clean as you go, is to keep the system through motion, right? A system is not to be looked at, right? Oh, I've organized things. It's like... It's to be practiced. You know, yeah, system easy. is not a noun, it's a verb, mm. right? So you have to be able to move through things. So you have to make that commitment to, you know, put things back where they go, right? Um, and that doesn't just work for the physical world. It also works for the virtual world. It works for the emotional world, right? Um, and it's just about taking that extra two seconds to put something away so that you're not costing yourself, you know, a minute or two later or, you know, making a real mistake. You know, I, the, one of the stories I tell in that book is how my burn my I got like second degree burns on my hand because my dear wife put a very hot pan down on top of the garbage can. Where a hot pan is not supposed to go. Yeah, no, you know? that's not And But it was my failure for not being aware. That's one of the principles is awareness. Um, and, you know, she wasn't, you know, maintaining her system as she went. So we both had to learn from that. How do you apply this to your life? Because I know you're like, we, like, I mean, you talk a lot about, like, meditation and stuff. Mm -hmm. You're, like, heavy into yoga. Yes. Or at least, you know what I'm saying? And you were telling me about, like, last time it was a, it was like some kind of squat that you do that, Transfers the sexual energy out of your body, so you don't be thinking about fucking these hoes. I can't, I can't remember Show the name me, of that squat, please. but it was. <laughs> Show you, no, but he no, he was he was giving me game like Good for focus. I'm saying I'm real, I'm real. I'm you with you. To, I, I'm word up. Like, yeah, that's, we that's, all, that's, everybody listen to. That's why you know word, word, <laughs> <laughs> word up. So how do you apply this? Because I mean, dude, like from. I know what life was like for me when we were working on the breaks, and I can only imagine what the fuck it was like for you in between that and NYU and, you know, family. How I mean, do you apply this to your life? I'm not perfect at it. I mean, I have I do too much, and I get sick, you know, and that's not good. You know, I got pneumonia last year. I, you know, like, it was, it was bad, yeah. Check, please. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But, uh, um, you know, for me... You know, one of the principles that's really helped me is, um, you know, the idea of what do you do, what do you choose to do first, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the systems of organization that are very popular talk about you do the worst first, right? Stephen Covey, all of his books, like, talks about you put the big rocks in the jar first, not the small rocks, because the big rocks are what count. If you, if you don't get the big rocks in first, you know, and you put the small rocks in, how are you ever going to get the big rocks in, right? All that. Do the worst first. And the thing is, you don't do the worst first. Actually. That takes it out of you. Like you don't want to do shit else. <laughs> For another reason, is that chefs actually see the world in two separate, like parallel kinds of time. Okay. There's process time, and then there's intensive time, right? Process is hands-on and hands-off time, essentially, right? right? Something intensive like, oh, I need to make a beat, or I need to write this essay, or I need to do whatever with my hands, right? You can't delegate that. You can't. Um, you know, you have to be there. So three hours is worth, three hours of, you know, your work is worth three hours. Mm -hmm. But there are other things called, that set processes in motion that you can do called process time. Like, um, I need to make the rice for, for dinner, right? I can't do that at the end of dinner because it takes a while to make the rice, right? So I have to do it first. It only takes five seconds, but that five seconds is worth the, 
you know, 30 minutes that it takes to make that rice. So sometimes you can't do the worst first. Sometimes you have to start processes so you can get hours of work for just minutes, hours of worth for just minutes of work. That's how chefs think. Damn. So that's helped me. I I got to redo my book again. (laughs) (laughs) Now I feel all inadequate. (laughs) Now you're you're yes, working on a book with Wiley or something. I heard with Dufresne. No, 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 no. I, 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 I did mine. I mean, mine was more or less about the creative process. Yeah, I bought both. Yours is something to food about. I bought both of y'all's on the same. Yeah, day it's it's, it's it's about the creative process. But I mean, yeah, you go to the ninth level of <laughs> hell to <laughs> to get that these theories that i didn't even think about like i i'm just thinking that chefs are like musicians in their creative process mm-hmm. but you're taking it to a whole nother level but of they observation. are but it's still parallel it's interesting because y'all two still went parallel it's still the same it's you know the the food the music the teaching it rounds out it's just interesting that's what i learned yeah that's you- what I, well we're about to wrap up but i was about to say i learned that i really have a a brother from another? Uh, yeah. I, who knew? We look alike. <laughs> we, we love Dylan and Prince and Prince bootlegs and Yeah. You know. Yeah. We, both, the, we the, both love Bill Johnson. Bill Johnson. Unpaid. Oh not unpaid, be a boss bill. I'm and sorry. we have uh projects that use Night on Ball Ball Mountain by Bob James. Nope. No. Nope. 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 Not it. Nope. Nice. Come nope. on. It's not it. It's not Come it. It's not on. it. It's so obvious, dude. Like, it's, yeah, it's do so obvious. Do we tell them? Is that what we do? Is nah. That how, is nah. that how this story ends? Oh, no. Nah, we don't. T- just found oh, it. I totally forgot about. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. This you got to give, give it to him. I hate Amir, you right now. Give it, <laughs> I cheated. Amir, give it to him. I cheated. He said. He said the, the he, name and he kind of gave it away. I, I did. I, I played it. Yeah, I, yeah. You played it good. Wow. So I pulled get it. It's, I think I got it on my phone. I, I learned that Steve is the jazz master of the circle. He'll I get cheated. A bitch I just said I cheated. <laughs> He's the cheater. Yeah, circle. but you cheated late. Like he said it like an hour ago. All right, well, dude. What he did with that beat is unbelievable. Is it the Wait, intro? Is it part? the intro? I I play it. I play it for wow. you. I play it for you. Oh, I think it was the intro. Is it the and intro then, or and the, then not he the used because I drums. never get past Arrested Development, right? There's I, other parts of the song. No, but I couldn't get past it either. I said, "How can anybody make anything not corny right. with this?" Sorry, and I but, sent him the. I was like, "Yo, I think this part is you know." And Primo used it. You were right. You were so right. And what makes it great is that Prem also flips the NT drums. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I think and I got he the song. uses the, beep, you know that right the, it, the one that the, everybody likes like because <laughs> the original I think the the first draft of that song it was uh it was he he had used misdemeanor and at that time I'm just like well you know this is 1990 so it's funky enough pretty much killed misdemeanor so I was like I don't think we could you know use that but uh but Man, yeah y'all I'll, taking it to the next level even I would have let that slide. Yeah, I was like, nah, that's that's DLC. So, but uh, but no, nah, man. Um, so right now, how are your days spent? I mean, it's it's you know teaching. Uh, once the breaks is once this season finishes, we get word on you know season two. We, we, you know, one way or Either another, it is or it ain't. Yeah, 
if it, assuming it is, well, it is. when We're do you go back it into there. it is it is when do you go back into the writers room next month shit yeah. are you serious yeah. so get back to work uh, yeah, yeah. Right. 4 a.m. good luck 4 a.m. wake up call uh, wow <laughs> i'm also working on a bit of a i told you a little project for russell as well yeah so he actually did hire me after all those years wow <laughs> i feel like you say a little project for russell would be like crush groove 2.0 or something <laughs> All right, so Dan, I'd like to thank you for doing our show. We ah, appreciate thank it. Thank you, sir. It's very job, Dan. I'm like, is breaks. this the normal length of the show? Y'all going to edit this down to like 15 minutes, nah, right? You this, know? Is, this, this is, is Quest Love Supreme. Uh, we go long. This is uh, <laughs> never mind. I, mean, I ain't mean this. You know, uh, wow. Yeah, uh, the breaks. Check us out. Uh, Monday nights, 9, 8 central on VH1. Um, every Monday, yeah. No, come, come, holler at us. Well, thank you very much. On behalf of the Questlove Supreme team, uh, this is Questlove, uh, apparently not the Bob James expert I thought I was. Uh, (laughs) whatever, (laughs) we will see you next week, uh, Wednesday at 1 p.m. with an all new episode of Questlove Supreme. All right, y'all, next week. Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.